Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. This is the third episode of our near replicant analysis, and it is now fully near replicant <laughs> because I was planning on playing through all the endings in Gestalt as uh-huh. well as the new replicant, and I very quickly decided against <laughs> that because well, well the sea route is, is you have to kills you you have to get all the weapons in the game yeah. in order to unlock ending C or D right and you have to do a bunch of side quests for that yeah. and I doing all the side quests in the game was something I was very satisfied with doing only once ever mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm never doing it again <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I basically just switched over full time to replicant now so that's Pretty much the version we're going to be talking about moving yeah. forward. Um, I think we've covered most of the major differences between the two. They're really not so. that different. No. Uh, but anyways, unless anybody else out there has like a really interesting change between... I'm sure someone might. The PS3 versions or maybe just Gestalt in general with the older near character versus yeah. the other version that's out now, the, the replicant one point, uh, what is it again? One point two two four seven. I don't remember all those numbers. Four three six five. Anyways, I had a note. I'm pretty sure I deleted the 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 version upgrade that we've just got a few months ago. Um, if you know of any more differences, let me know. But I I just did not have the time or the will to play through all of those endings again uh, in both versions. So pretty much is going to be moving forward now with Replicant. Um, before we get started, <coughs> um, just want to mention really quickly. Um, We've been talking about bringing the show back to a weekly schedule once we hit um, a certain uh, stretch goal on uh, Patreon and and, um, Subscribestar. And we are, I mean, that close. We are that close. We're about $50 away between the two platforms Mm -hmm. from that goal. So, um, if anybody, I mean, we're going to bring this up every time. It's just a reminder. uh, You know, nobody has to feel pressured or anything like that, you know. uh, Times are kind of tough, and if you know, you're struggling right. financially, of course, we would not expect anybody to go out of their way. But if you appreciate the show, if you like what we're doing, you'd like to see it turn into a weekly schedule, we are about that close to getting there. So check out our Patreon or subscribe to our pages. Um, just keep in mind that um, you know we have to have a cutoff at some point. Like There has to be a cutoff where it's like, well, you're at, let's say, 1990... Five. Just do it. Why just, can't you keep going weekly? Just do it weekly. Yeah, exactly, right? And it's I like, it, it, sometimes it feels arbitrary, but that cutoff has to be somewhere. So if it dips below 2000 again, which is generally what happens, it's expected, like when the payments come around at the end of the month, mm-hmm. like people will fall off. Yes, that so does happen. Y- generally, you want to have a little bit of a cushion, a little yeah. more than the 2000 to kind of like compensate for that. So if it dips back below 2000 we're going to go back to monthly again. And then if it goes back over 2,000, we'll go back to weekly again. That's just the cutoff we it's, had to make yeah. somewhere. It's awkward, but yeah, that's what we have <laughs> it's to just, do. It's just what we have to do. So um, anyways, uh, it's really close. But if, if you have been enjoying the show and you're eager to see it return to weekly, because we're going to be voting on a new game here around the corner. We're, we're pretty much, oh, after yeah, today, that's right. after today, we're going to have like one more episode on Nier. Yeah. Um, and Most then comments and, after yeah. that, we're going to be doing a vote. And that, that vote is now live on Patreon and subscribe store. So if you want to vote on the next game, um, at the $5 level, you can uh, do, you have voting rights and uh, you'll be able to submit questions for our exclusive podcast. That's only for the, the supporters on there. 
Um, so anyways, uh, those games I've decided, since I'm putting Final Fantasy X in there, right, I'm going to put it up against Final Fantasy VI. Oh, smart. And then... I was going to say, you may as well not do a poll. <laughs> yes, exactly. If a Final Fantasy game is on there, it will win. It will win. But here's Especially a wild 10. card. 10 is a lot of people's favorite. Here, here's a wild card. Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy VI, and the only game that I feel like could possibly upset them mm-hmm. is Xenogears. Oh, okay. All right. So those are the three to vote for uh, for the next game that we'll cover after Nier. And, Dang. Um, again, if we, hit that, if we hit that goal here in the next couple days when this goes live and stuff, we will finish this Nier analysis Quicker. up next week. And then the following week, we'd be on to Xenogears. So, yeah, or yeah. <laughs> whatever you vote for, I guess. I hope it's Xenogears. That was a Freudian that was slip. That was a Freudian slip. I hope you pick Xenogears. <laughs> but it could be Final Fantasy X, which I've also been wanting to replay. You know, I have not uh, played mm. Xenogears, really. Oh, dude. Yeah. You think this game is wild? <laughs> you think Nier is wild? Dude. Okay, anyways. All right. So there's that. Um, we need to make some corrections from last week. Okay. Um, so we said that the, the, the title screen intro. I saw um, the comment here, yeah. Yeah, was, it was changed so that you don't have Kane's um, rant yes. at the beginning of it anymore. Um, apparently that's not the case. If you just have to wait yes. a while. So you let, yes. it, it, you let it play all the way through, and it'll play through what the Japanese version of the title screen little demo movie was. Yeah. And then... Um, if you wait through that cycle and go back to the start screen and wait again and it starts the demo again, it'll do the American version or the Western version, the English version, where Kaine does have the rant. No. So it's still there. It is still there. That's good. In the remaster we're talking about, the, the newly released version. Um, also, uh, the wiki page for Nier completely lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> it gives giving me false information. Fira yeah. is not five, and then when ten. We first meet her. She's the same age as the King of Assad, which is ten and fifteen. So that's that's on the that's on the wiki. I mean, that's that was on the near wiki online. They gave bad information. I don't know Jeez, what they were they thinking with that. that. Maybe somebody has edited it since then. Mm. I don't know, but I don't know why that was. You, know, you got to check wiki sources. I've learned this the hard way many times over the years. Um, so anyways, it's not as weird as it seemed. Uh, she's the same age, 15, as the King of Sun. So that's good. I'm glad of that. <laughs> okay, so we had a long comment um, uh, on something we misspoke about. Uh, because I was a little confused because the comment goes into great length. Uh, detailing a lot of the lore and background and the difference between white chlorination sh- syndrome and the black scroll. And mm. I think this is because one of us must have misspoke at some point. I don't know when, but somebody referred to black scroll when they probably meant white chlorination syndrome. Right. So I wanted to clarify that we understand the difference between the two because we talked about it quite a lot in mm. the first episode where we described, you know, uh, Angelus or whatever the dragon's name from uh, Drakengard came through yeah. and they introduced uh, Meso or Maso or whatever it's supposed mm-hmm. to be pronounced at the, the particle that's from another dimension yeah. that is what like makes magic possible, yes. right? But it also causes this disease, white chlorination syndrome. So we talked about that in the first episode. So we, we know the difference between the two. Yeah, they are different. And um, just so everyone else knows, 
There is a difference. Yes. <laughs> white chlorination is what was killing the human people, but the black scrawl is the black letters that you see on like Yona's arm. And, and, and that is unique people. to replicants. Yeah, that's when the gestalt relapses. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah. when you have a, a gestalt, which is the human soul, and the replicant, which is the body that carries its uh, DNA, the data of the person, right? Yeah, and they're supposed yeah, the to shell. be they're supposed to be recombined at one point. If the gestalt, the soul, begins to relapse, then the replicant body will get the black scroll. Yeah. So that's what the black scroll is. It's unique to replicants only. Who the replicants are immune to white chlorination syndrome. Right. Um, that's which why is what was killing they were made. all the humans. Exactly. Yeah, that's the whole point. I think the where it got brought up or misspoken about was we were talking about the 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 birds the when tree. you talk to the birds. So we're oh, talking about the, 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 the memory in the tree with the boy who's dying in the hospital. Ah, uh, sure. I think okay, somebody yeah. must have said black scrawl. He was dying of black yeah, scrawl or yeah, something. Probably. When we <clears throat> meant to say white chlorination syndrome, because that's what people were dying of back then. Sure. Um, one thing that is, is interesting, though, and this is something that I... I okay, so in the very last episode of this analysis, next time, I will have read... The, the companion book, Grimoire yeah, Mirror. Yeah, I found a link for that too. Um, so that, that episode will be more probably lore based and then we'll move into like responding to comments and, and kind of, you know, answering questions or, you know, going back and forth with people in the comments more. Kind of like we did with um, Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, so we're not going to focus like super a ton on like lore and history and background and the world building stuff today. Um, because I want to read that book first before we do that. Okay. But <clears throat> one thing that I have wondered about is why Yona in the prologue has the symptoms of the Black Scrawl, right? Like you mm -hmm. see the words and the letters and stuff like yeah. that. But the people in that time didn't have Black Scrawl. They had white chlorination syndrome. You mean back in the day? I'm pretty yeah. sure it's because of the book. Yeah, so she touches the book. She, she touched Grimoire Noir, near, right? So there was actually two Grimoire Noirs. There's one and there's a copy. So they're both Grimoire Noir. Oh, they're Noir. both Noir. Okay. But when, when Nier touches it, right, like he is like compatible. His DNA is compatible. And so like that, I think that's the moment where he becomes the first it, like, gestalt. Like it selected him. Yeah. yeah. He's like the first like gestalt who keeps his sentience, I guess. The first gestalt mm. who's like actually stable. And she touches it and she's not. And so like, but what, what's mm. confusing to me is obviously she became a relapsed gestalt immediately upon touching it. He became a stable gestalt upon touching the book himself. Mm. But they're still two human bodies. But they're humans, not so replicants. So it's, it's, it's like, did their bodies just transform into replicants? <laughs> uh, that's the only thing that makes no. sense if she's having the symptoms of the Black Scrawl. So that's the one point I'm a little confused I'd say about. someone may have an answer to that. Yeah, I'm sure they do. And I'm sure that like that yeah. Grimoire near like we're talking about. Oh, might, sure, yeah you know, specify that kind of thing. Um, so the, the, the clearing up like all the technical details of like how the rules of the universe work and yeah. things like that is the stuff that we'll save for the next episode. That makes so sense. So the guy who wrote this, this um, comment where, uh, I'll show it to you, where he was kind of like trying to clarify the difference between this. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very long comment and he's mostly going into a lot of 
the world and the lore and the history pre, okay, uh, you know, the the fourteen hundred year time skip, and it's like a lot of this stuff I knew, and a lot of it, you know, about Red Eye and Legion and, and that sort of thing. We oh, that goes about, into Drakengard. Yeah, yeah, the connection with Drakengard yeah. and stuff like that. Um, we will get into that a little bit next time, but for for today's episode, I think we're just going to try to focus more on more of the philosophical uh, ambitions of the story, like what, sure. it, what it all means, like at the heart, right? Um, and maybe talk about like some character arc type stuff. Uh, last time we, we kind of just stuck to summarizing events and you know, our feelings about the technical execution of things mm-hmm. um, from like a, maybe a directing standpoint or a storytelling standpoint. Right. Uh, today we'll get more into the philosophical content and the next week or, or next time we'll get more into like the lore stuff, right? Cool. So we'll talk about this at greater length next time, but just wanted to clarify or correct ourselves on the fact that there is a difference between black scrawl and white chlorination syndrome. We understand what right. that difference is. Uh, one of us must have misspoken. I just don't know at what point we did <laughs> in that video. So um, I also, uh, we talked about how there's a real like underhanded or, or maybe like really subtle um, suggestions that Emil is gay. Um, right. And there were some people who were like, what do you mean? Like it's so obvious, right? But the thing is now playing through Replicant, it is pretty obvious in the scene that they're talking about. They've changed it. Yes. Um, and um, I think there's a little bit more that you see in ending in Route C. I think you see there was another Thing that I kind of noticed specifically. I don't know if it wasn't in the previous ones though, but yeah. in his little story, kind of. Yes. Know. Yeah. But it 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 seemed more or less clear to me. But yeah, I it's it's still easy for people to miss stuff like that. <laughs> like if it's not spelled out, a lot of people are going to miss it. It's it's in particular when you go to facade after the time skip and they're preparing for the wedding. Yeah. And it's like Emil. I mean, he doesn't come right out and say it, but it's just much much more obvious in, mm. in the way it's performed and in the actual words he's saying. It's much more obvious that he's like, oh, because he's like, oh, I'm so jealous of the bride or I wish I could be getting married or something. And they're like, hey, yeah. you know, someday you'll find a bride. He's like, oh, right, a bride, right? Mm-hmm, like, yeah. he makes it really obvious Yes. in this newer version, more then, so than then the they original. leave and say, don't worry, one day. And he goes, yeah, that's not exactly it. Yeah, and exactly. that's kind of, yeah. But in the original version, it wasn't, that's not the words that they used. It wasn't mm. as clear, right? Mm. So anyways, just wanted to make that correction. If you've only played this new replicant version, it will seem like it was on the nose, but it wasn't that way in the original. Um, so that's why we were saying, oh, you know, there's this kind of subtle hint. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, I also, I, I talked about how slow it is climbing ladders in the game. Um, mm. I didn't know this, thank you for those who gave me the tip, but you can hold X to climb ladders faster. He sort of like jumps up them. Um, but they, they also just increased the default climbing speed in, this, in the remaster. Okay. So either way, getting up ladders is not as tedious as it was. Uh, especially in sections like the Airy where you gotta climb this There's tall tons ladder, of ladder and, and then down this here tall ladder, and go all and the way go around. Down, down, up. <laughs> yep. It just took forever to climb ladders. Uh, in the original, but I, I didn't realize you could hold X to make it faster. So thank you for those who uh, gave me that tip. Um, 
So somebody in the comments uh, brought up how they saw a parallel or, or maybe that the, the inspiration for facades like rule system was um, perhaps like our media interpretation of um, like Muslim culture or uh, like Middle the East. Yeah. I, I mean, I got that a little bit, at least a little bit. Because the way people are dressed, it does sort of resemble, resemble a burqa well, a little bit. And there's also um, the... I mean, the stated intention, or at least the stated inspiration of the 9-11, yeah. you know, connection to, like, mm -hmm. why he was thinking about the things he was thinking with this story. Right. But I also wanted to bring up that he, that Yoko Taro has done interviews where he says that Facade in particular was actually inspired by, like, his view of Japanese culture. Like, yeah. Japanese culture is very... I saw that rigid too, yeah. and just like kind of um, tons of rules. And yeah, yeah. And he's a, a, a very like nonconformist yeah, type so most personality, right? Tend to be, yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was more of a um, how would you call it? Maybe like a an absurdist, or, or maybe like a, a, a parody, or some kind of internal um, critique of Japanese culture more than it was of like Islamic or, or you know Muslim culture. Yeah, um, and then there was a lot of uh, discussion about the rule zero stuff. There was, there was. Uh, maybe so, we should, uh, maybe we should talk about that. I do want to talk about this a little bit before we yeah. jump into route B and stuff like that. Um, I, I have, yeah, I have some thoughts. Because there's a lot to, there's a lot to go over. There were some good yeah. points being made by people too. So I kind of want to scroll down here to uh, where this got started. I think that the the user or the, the YouTube comment was from El Chaos. Um, so I'll kind of start with his point. I'll just kind of read his and then, you, you know, chime in if you sure have thing. points to add to it. So he says, I don't know, that whole rule zero business sounds less like forcing democracy and Nier's own morality and ethics down their throats and more like making sure that the rigidity of their system doesn't end up dooming them at some point in the future when they have to face a situation that their rule set didn't foresee, which was the whole point. Right, obviously. Because they had conflicting rules about whether they could go save the Prince of Assad in the... Yes. So right. Nir said, hey, I've got this really cool system called democracy, and <laughs> it will fix all of your problems. I mean, yes. <laughs> like, fair point. But I think... <laughs> There's an issue that your monarchy yes. and rule system does not quite address. I have a much better way of doing it than you. And it's not like it's not like a total refutation, but it's just like a here it is as like a fallback or like in the case where the system has a barrier that you you don't know how to fix. Here is a way that you can. Yes. I can see that point of view. And it's rule zero, which is ahead of all of your other rules <laughs> <laughs> that you have made. And it, it's, uh, it's above all of those rules. Uh, so yeah. a couple more comments, because there's one, there's uh, Blue Mew, but then there's also Good Guy who brings up uh, mm. something. Um, so Blue Mew says, exactly, if applied to the real world, they would have doomed themselves long ago. It's just not a substantial uh, or sustainable society, and there would be far more issues. It only works in a fantasy setting or the game because you can control how much is shown. So playing that section to me made their society feel oppressive and wrong in that respect, uh, actually thinking it through. Nier gave them a contingency plan, nothing that was forced on them. There are a few times Taro's execution or theme only work in his games, but not when applied to reality. Not sure if that is because he chose to view it in such a limited way 
uh, because there are obvious flaws. Um, so yes, like obviously the point of it is to be used as a contingency for when the rule system contradicts itself. We, we get that right. point. Now, um, good guy comes in and says, I think their point still stands actually. If you approach them with the assumption that they'll have their reason, then there's no need to add anything of your own. If they have their own reasons and internal sense, then there is probably a reason why they never added such a, uh, a rule. There's also a surprising amount of hubris to not only add a rule for, uh, of your own, but essentially make it the highest rule of the land uh, by yes, making it yeah. number zero instead of just adding it in the end. The rules already seemingly contradict one another in parts, and yet they seem to be fine. While your intentions well, were good. Because they can always make another rule. You, they right. didn't need near to tell them that they could make another yes. rule or, or supersede a rule. They could always have added, have made another rule because that's how they decided. That's why they have so as many a rules. contingency. To They're their like, own ah, shoot, we need problems. a new rule. Boom, new rule. They have t twenty million rules. It's like they can just make new ones to solve whatever problems. That's the reason they have those rules, right? Right. Uh, while there, while your intentions were good, you ended up doing the same as near here. You projected what you believe appropriate and true onto them, even though they appear to have it or have thought it have thought it through. So that goes on uh, for a few more back yeah. and forths, but there's one particular other comment that was unconnected to that thread that I want to make my point on this with. Um, and it, again, there seems to be a lot of people who feel like, well, their system is wrong. <laughs> well, then so that therefore is the it needs point. to be changed, and that's kind of and the point Yoko we're making. Yoko Taro wanted you to think that, at least in part. Yes, but th that the whole point is, is that even though you view a culture as having a system that is wrong, I think someone brought up like, um, they brought up like slavery or something. Like if, if, if a culture like continues slavery or, or something like that, um, you know, then like obviously that is wrong and it needs to be, there needs to be some kind of intervention or something like that. I, I'm, I'm probably butchering what the person said. I'm trying to summarize it and I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. And the point is, is that yes, clearly all of us here in the room, so to speak, agree mm. that that is wrong. <laughs> From course, our culture and the way that we view it, it is. But the, the, the real point here is, is it right for this society or this culture who has their own moral viewpoint on something to force this one to abide by their no. cultural norms or what they view as morally right or not. It's and not about whether or not it is right. Of course, we all think it's wrong of course. that facade operates this way. It's inefficient. It's a system that will conflict with itself and not work. That's not, that's not in, in contention between us here right. because we all grew up in a society like Nier did. The contentious part is, is it right for us to force them or to even suggest, suggest is probably fine, but to force. Well, Nier was given power in yes. as a favor by the king. He was given power, brief power over the king that he immediately used to subvert their legal system. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. That's what he did. And it's, I probably, and like, to be honest, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, yes. me personally. I'd have been like, hey, your rule of thing's weird. Like, just get rid of your rules. I don't like them. But 
or at least make a way for your people to do it, whatever. However near ended up doing, I probably would have gone more the other way. Been like, dude, get rid of all your rules. Do that favor for me. Um, but uh, that does contradict the themes that Yoko Taro was uh, trying to explore and the, the general idea of understanding and not feeling like you know better than one culture knows better than another one. Right? Yeah. This isn't the comment I was talking about that was referencing slavery, but it is another mm. one that has the same sentiment. There was a bunch of people who had kind of the same idea yeah, there were a lot of what they were saying. About this. So I disagree. This is from Edmond Dantes. I disagree with the rule zero discussion. Just because a certain society is full of nice people and they're doing well for themselves does not mean that it is right for them to own, this is the one, to own human slaves, for example. In this case, their rules made them unable to save the prince. No rule or government is perfect and seeking improvement should be a goal of all societies to strive for. Perhaps it will be bad or maybe it will be good for the people, but wanting improvement is the right call. Obviously, we agree with that, but that's not the point of contention. Like, they need to right. come up with that within their own culture. They need to exactly. decide, as a culture, this is wrong. They need to decide, otherwise, we want to improve yeah. in this way. And otherwise they you make the what choice. they call the, the white savior complex yes. or whatever, where it's like the foreigner steps in to fix the problems of this culture that couldn't fix them by themselves. Um, it, it's the, and it's, he uses words like improve or what's yeah. another word here. And I'm not, I don't mean to like be picking, like I think this is actually, this is a good point. It's a good argument and it's yes. a good discussion to have because there is some complexity here. But when you're using words like, yeah, Im- improvement, that's a subjective word. That's your own opinion that democracy is an improvement based on, on the culture's, you know, set rules. And based on your own moral view. Yes, in the year this 2021. Is, this is the difficult yeah. thing, the really difficult thing about, and, and something that societies and cultures dating, I mean, going back tens of thousands of years mm-hmm. or whatever, have had huge problems with. Of course. They see the way that they, their culture is, and they view it as, that's not right. Like, that's, that's uh, barbaric or savage or... Um, they need to adopt our religion. <laughs> and that they need to be saved so much. And it's obvious to them. They're yes. like, well, clearly these people need because Christianity or Islam or whatever it is. You've grown up being taught that this is right and that this yeah. is wrong in your moral code, your moral system. And their moral system conflicts with yours. Yes. And so you think that they're yeah. barbaric or savage or that what they're doing is... Okay, I have a great example. So I'm reading Shogun. It's the, it is a fictionalized version of the real world um, William, William Edward, or I always forget his last name, but I the, the English that. sailor who's, who sailed with the Dutch who came to Japan. It, it's, it's a fictionalized version of that story of him coming uh, to Japan, right, as, as an yeah. English sailor. So I was really struck as I was reading this because the, he... Uh, Clavel, the author, portrays a lot of these things about Japanese culture in a way that feels very shocking and barbaric. And it's, it's especially yeah. for someone like me who, like Blackthorn, the, the fictionalized version of the mm-hmm. character, was Christian, right? Right. They, they didn't have punishments other than death for almost anything in their culture. They just killed you for everything. Right. Like sometimes they would banish you or sometimes they mm-hmm. might like cut a woman's hair or something like that for mm-hmm. like petty things. But it's like, for the most part, you commit a crime in this culture, they execute you for it. Mm-hmm. And that seems very extreme. 
and they're, they're crucifying people all the time. And they only really have prisons to hold you for your execution until the time that they can get to around to executing you, <laughs> right? Okay. And so he's witnessing this, and it's just from the perspective of a Christian where this is the one life you get, and especially that form of Christianity where if you don't accept Jesus oh, before right. your death, you're condemned then to hell. You're, you're done, yeah. Like, this is horrific. This right. is a horrific thing. Mm. All these people being killed, executed for petty theft or just whatever it might be. This seen, is seen as a barbaric, savage practice. <laughs> and it's mm. just crazy, right? Like, how could this be? Um, they even have a, a character, a daimyo, who, like, performs torture and stuff like that. Mm. And it's just like, this is a savage land. However, he starts putting you in the minds of some of the Japanese people who are Zen Buddhists, and yeah. they all believe in reincarnation. Right. So killing somebody is not death the same thing at all. Yeah, an outlook on death, yeah. Because you're going to come right back. It's different, right. And a lot of times, let's say like a samurai behaves in a way that's very dishonorable. Right. So he asks for permission to commit seppuku, right? To restore his honor. To so restore his honor can, so in the next yeah. life, that karma won't follow him into the next life. Right. Because karma is a very big thing. You do a lot of bad things in this lifetime, yeah. you die that's going to be carried with you into the next life and you'll have plagues or maybe you'll have some mm. kind of de- deformation or or maybe, you won't even be human or maybe right? you be human you would descend into like right. some other lower animal or something like that yeah so these people have a belief system that supports these things that they do that seem savage and barbaric if you don't understand the culture right but when you do it's like if if you were to choose to believe in reincarnation in this, this culture that they have in Japan, all of a sudden, death doesn't seem like such a bad thing. Right. It doesn't seem like too harsh of a punishment. And in some ways, it seems like a way of restoring your honor so that your next life won't carry the karma with you. It's almost like a blessing right. <laughs> to be killed in this way. So when you examine it from their point of view, their perspective, it, it totally changes how their system operates how you view the way that their system operates. So the point here is Interesting. that is it right, therefore, for the Portuguese and the Spanish and the, you know, to bring Catholicism and to make them reform? Right. Or, or uh, even the English or whoever else comes in with their Protestant version of that and to force them into believing this way? Or, <laughs> like, that's kind of at the center of our point. We may view facade's rule system as being inefficient and wrong and... Uh, contradictory, but it is not our place as the outsider, as the foreigner, to force change in their culture. They have to accept that from within. Because when you force it on them, a lot of times they will feel subjugated or like this is coming from somewhere else and the culture is not ready to accept this new moral principle yet. They don't understand it. They haven't been through the evolution over time to like change and like realize this of themselves. Mm. What we're doing is wrong. And that's important for a culture to discover on its own. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because if, if it's forced on by the outside, then it feels like uh, some imported or some, it feels like, um, I don't even, I don't really know how to put it. It feels artificial. It doesn't feel real. It feels like a, a form of oppression that these these people are imposing a new rule upon you, right? Yeah. It needs there's a natural evolution that needs to happen around certain laws and things like that. Otherwise, the people won't accept them. Right. Right. You need social enforcement of like a culture is more important than um, political enforcement of a law. You know, like 
you you need to have both. Uh, you can't just have the law match something, but you didn't do anything about the culture, which which takes many generations to for shake. cultures to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they have to be taught from a young age yeah. <laughs> in order to really accept this stuff. If you're an older person and someone's like bringing in a whole new like system of belief, it's really hard to change that. But yeah, either way, whether it's uh, covert or overt, um, you're doing the same thing. It's the same principle. There's something wrong with these people. They're wrong. They did it wrong. And it w- I have to change them, right? Yeah. And there's there's just something weird about that. And I'm not, it's not like we're unsympathetic to that idea or to yes. that feeling or to wanting like, to do Like that. you said, I think but with Iraq either and such, of us would probably, not, we right. probably would have done the same thing. I, I definitely would have done the same and thing. And set up a rule zero. Absolutely. Because to me, it just makes the most sense. Like it's going to fix the problems of your culture. But it's just not my place but it's not to fix the, right the problem yeah. so, of another culture. And what we're doing here, because a lot of people are going to be upset with this. Now, first off, I do have to mention a lot of Japanese people don't like the book Shogun. Um, oh, really? Because they don't like the way that their culture is interpreted, portrayed, right? Portrayed yeah. by by a foreigner, right? Sure. Now that doesn't mean it's completely inaccurate, but some of it will will be seen very differently from the East versus West. So there's sure. a little split there. So people in Japan don't love that book, uh, and some of the portrayal of of uh, women and so forth within the book, it just seems uh, he portrays them very very submissive. Which once again, I'm not I. something like that does seem to be the case, objectively. But, so Japanese people would say, oh no, don't read Shogun, you should read this book that's written by a Japanese person 500 years ago. And that'll make you understand things. And they're probably right. Sure. I don't, I just don't know of any (laughs) of those. But, you know, they're probably right. Um, Oh yeah, okay, so that was, that's first of all. Um, But then, um, we're doing our best to understand what he meant. And I believe what he wanted to show was that um, the cultural superiority is relative. And that's why we're, we're straining at this particular part with Rule Zero. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it just, it, it messes a little bit with what he was trying to get people to see, despite the fact that we would have done it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that's clear now. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're trying not only to like blast our own views into your brains through this podcast. We're yeah. trying also to spark discussion by like trying to understand the artist's intention as best as we can. Yeah. So there's a mixture of the two things. Otherwise we're just like, oh that's stupid, they shouldn't and have done that. I feel like sometimes when we're trying to like, you know, understand the artist's intention, like what we're saying is being viewed as if that's what we think. And yes. that's not always the case. There were many comments so, to that such, especially with the political angle with Iraq and stuff. Yeah. It's like, uh, I guarantee <laughs> you don't know my subtle political opinions on the Iraq war I get, based on this podcast. I guarantee yeah. you don't know that. That would be a whole podcast in itself but, if we were going to talk about that. <laughs> but we we are looking to, that was, Yoko Taro said specifically outright that that was a big influence for him. And so yeah. it, we're trying to use that lens to interpret the way he saw the world and his intentions as we analyze the art that he created. Right. Um, I probably should have said that before that whole discussion, actually. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> We're going to get into a little bit more of, um, like, I, I have some plans today to separate again from Taro's perspective and give some of my own on some of the stuff coming up. So Sure, we'll which, into, which we can do. It's yeah, just sometimes we're trying to do both. Sometimes we're trying to do the other. And yeah. anyways, so we'll try well, to you, clarify you, that better. I think you first, you try to understand the artist's view, and then you, you come in with your own perspective right. and determine, right. you know, what it means to you. Uh, exactly. But... And some people don't like to do that, but I yeah. think that's a decent approach. 
Okay, so now we're done with all that corrections and commenting and stuff from last time. Let's move into ending B, C, D, and E. All of <laughs> and them. And the differences in some of the playthroughs, right? Um, after, yeah. after the A playthrough. Um, it's important Kay. to note that there are a couple of key pieces of added content to the replicant version yes. that were not in the original game. Yes. Um, episode Mermaid, which is a mm -hmm. scenario in Seafront with a wrecked ship. Yeah. Um, now, it's also important to mention that while both of these feel new to this version of the game, mm -hmm. they're not really new. Because they're based on like old stories that were written yeah, previous, right? They're short stories that yeah. were in Grimoire Near, that yeah. companion book. But was only in Japan, right? That only came out in Japanese. Yeah. Um, so ending E uh, is one of those things, is one yep. of those short stories. And then so. another one was Episode Mermaid, but Episode Mermaid was actually, I believe it was intended to be in the original game, but was oh, cut. Oh, really? So oh, they, cool. they were planning on putting that in mm. the original release, but it got cut due to time and budget constraints and whatnot. So that's been put back in. Um, that, that's not to say that they had designed anything. I don't know if they had. Like they might have been, they might have chosen to cut that like way before they actually built any assets or did anything. Oh, like the way it had But it, it's yeah. on, I have no idea at what point that was cut. I just, what I've heard is that that was originally intended to be in the other game. But anyways, it's in this version now. So we're gonna go over that a little bit um, and we'll go over ending E, which are both significant in terms of what they add. But um, I think probably best to just start out uh, with how Route B opens up. So when you finish the A ending, the first ending, you beat the game all the way up to mm -hmm. the Shadow Lord, you finish the game, you see uh, Nier and Yona as kids again, in a, you know, kind of like lying there in the village and they're at peace and they got the lunar flower, whatever it's called. Which lunar we cry, had questions about that scene and I don't know that they were, I did see one comment said this had to have been before. Yeah, I, I th and, and it has to be. A there was one person who was saying like the 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 endings A and B aren't literal. They're more like. Um, anyways, I could see that being true. As mm -hmm. in, like this is not like a chronological next thing. After Nero and Yono leave the Shadow Lord's castle, they are at home. Like I don't think Younger. that's the case. I think yeah. this is more of a. Well, I was wondering if they had been re. Replicated, oh, right. you know, in the future, um, but it didn't sound like that. That was going to be I possible. I don't think that that's possible. Right, so it had to be a flashback. So I, I believe that it's a flashback. But yeah. anyways, um, the route B opens up after the five-year time skip, and even after uh, going into the underground like facility of the the, the mansion of Emil's mansion. Yeah. So after he's already been transformed into the skeletal monster and gotten like control of magic, yeah. and they come back to save Kaine. It's right when Kaine is reawakened from petrification. That is where each playthrough begins again in the New Game Plus, if we want to call it that, of <laughs> each route. Yeah. So you don't go all the way back to the beginning again. You basically start at the halfway point and then go to the end. Um, and I... <laughs> I don't know if anybody else experienced this. I, th I, I heard a couple of other people in, in like the, the the streams that I do for Discord uh, for Patreon. Mm -hmm. um, people talking about they had this similar experience. But I had played really late into the night, an early morning of the next day, and I was ready to go to bed. Mm -hmm. But I was like, okay, I finished. Um, I finished ending A. Let's just see how Route B opens up real quick. 
Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Oh, dude. And you're just going to miss all of it. And you just, it just... It's its a book. It's a text. Again, it's another text. It's just a ton of text. screen with text. For and a And you long get time. like three short stories yep. about um, Kaine's um, past. Kaine's life, yeah. And in total... It's maybe 50 minutes worth of reading. It's quite a bit. <laughs> and so if you get into that at all, even yeah. like five or ten minutes in, I'm like, oh, man, I have no idea how long this is going to be. But I feel like I can't stop now because I don't want to have to redo this again. Yeah. And I have no idea how much longer it's going to be. And then an hour later, I like finally get through it. That right? sucks. So I think <laughs> that unfortunate circumstance behind yeah. the fact that I really needed to go to bed because I needed to be up for work the next day was part of the reason why it frustrated me uh, as much as it did. Did it taint the experience? Um, but I felt it was just way too long. Um, I, it's very key <laughs> and important character information, yeah. right? It is. And, and it's well written. It's not like it's hard. It's extremely re- well written. It's good. Yeah. It just is a lot. It is just a lot. Right <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, maybe there's a way to break it up, or I have a suggestion for how they could have done it in a minute. But let's talk a little bit about what those scenes are Yeah. So the first one is kind of, she's really young. Um, I don't know the exact age, but maybe like 10 or something like that. Yeah. She's just a little little kid. Um, it is, a, it's a very good, it's a very good story. All these stories are very good. They're very well, well written, well done, um, visual writing. Uh, written in a visual way. I've got a few uh, notes on that here. But she um, is being bullied and harassed by these these kids about her age. You know, Basically stoned. And they're throwing <laughs> rocks at her, yeah. And it's so funny because it explains, at first you don't know what's going on, but it explains kind of just in general that this girl, she's kind of, she's got a hard time. She's got a lot of thoughts in her mind and things aren't going well for her, it seems. Um, and then a stone comes out of nowhere and you hear the laughing, mocking of the people around her, um, this this is this is very good to me. I think specifically because I'm just a sucker for like young kids that are having a hard time. You know, yeah. that that's an easy way to Emil pull, pull in my was heart your strings. favorite character. Yes, Emil was my absolute favorite. Yeah, at least in part for that reason. The you know the innocence of a young kid being you know exploited or ruined by some punks that need to be taught a lesson. That's something that most stories like that will get me to, you know, have my interest, I suppose. Um, But there's some writing here that really made it, really made it kind of, this is such good writing. Here's an example of some really good writing. Okay. This says, um, (laughs) so... The child had what is described, so as these stones come hurling in at her, and she's hit, and blood is like going down her face, and she's not feeling well, and she's, she was like upset before. It says, a heartbreaking smile crept across her face. That's very visual. That's good writing, because yeah. you can imagine that. That like, it's almost the here we go again, like she's smiling, but it's not... It's a heartbreaking smile, right? It's just like she's used to it. Mm-hmm. And and she she gets that smile that you can imagine eventually turned into just part of her personality being like like learning how to shut off, I guess, your emotions from the world. So yeah. you, you would even smile as something like that happens ever. Um, but a heartbreaking smile. I could I could picture that in my mind. Yeah. Like so easily. And so I was it's just like, like the, oh, that's bad. This is the prose version of show don't tell. Right. Yes, exactly. So rather than saying, yeah, uh, I don't know, like describing it was the night, it or... was nighttime, 
you would yeah. describe the pale streams of moonlight streaming through the window exactly. and reflecting off the glass. Yes. That, that paints a picture yeah. in the reader's mind and of you the can scene. See it. Yeah. Right. It's that, it's that kind of It's writing. that kind of writing. So it's we learn very well done. We learn about the reason why she's being persecuted, yes. which we didn't get much of a hint of really. in necessarily in the A playthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and describe or explain some of the reasoning behind, like the the reason why Kaine dresses the way she does. Yes. Um, so she's uh, intersex. Yes. Um, so has both sets of uh, the phenotypes. Yeah. you would say both phenotypes. Both sets of yeah. uh, internal sexual organs. Yes. For women and men, um, and this is the reason why the children are bullying her this way, right? So. Clearly, she identifies as a woman, and so mm-hmm. it would make sense that she, in her kind of, um, well, and we'll get into, she's possessed by a shade, and so that, that well, mingles that with her personality, right? She yes. becomes a very coarse, and her mm-hmm. gra- grandmother was that way, too. She's oh, yeah, that's where she learned a lot of that. that. Yes. But she, um, in sort of like forming that sort of coarse exterior, or that uh, very blunt or kind of crude nature that mm-hmm. she has, um, she chooses to express or show or, or um, uh, emphasize her femininity mm-hmm. as much as she can. Um, and I, I really found that to be, because I think we talked about this uh, earlier in like maybe the first episode, right? Like it can maybe come across at first like this is nothing more than fan service it or something. It definitely does come across at first. Like why would they e- design Even a character from like the this? intro trailer, yeah. like before you really meet the character, just from the trailer of the movie on the start screen, it's like fan service. That's what it looks yeah. like. Like it's just, it's just a sexy character just because. Yeah. And I really liked, I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I, I don't enjoy it personally. I think that it's distract is a distraction. Mm, it doesn't add so. to the story for me. So I typically don't enjoy that type of thing. Right. But uh, that's not to say that like you know, fan service in and of itself is like wrong. But <laughs> it is to say that I did enjoy in this case that there's a pretty strong justification for it. Yeah. There's a story reason for it, and they don't treat her. Like, um, like the characters, the way that they address her, other than uh, Vice, who's Vice. always like bringing up how she's dressed or calling her yeah. a hussy to like kind of poke at her ribs, right? Well, but I I listened for it this time, and the word Vice is using for hussy is um, stagi onna, stagi onna, which means underwear woman. Oh, <laughs> so they translated that to hussy in English, but he's saying. He calls her the underwear lady. That's just what he calls oh, her. Oh, okay. And th- that's what they translate as hussy all the time. Yeah. That's fun. So, anyways, um, I liked this. I liked this dimension to the character. And I liked yeah. the... It's just really unique. You don't see this often. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that, that's why the kids are bullying her. Um, she, they're throwing rocks and, like, essentially, she's, like, bleeding. <laughs> and yeah. her grandmother... Comes she up, throws a rock back, throws yeah. a rock back at the kids, starts beating them up, and, and then you know she's she's a tough, a tough, a tough, woman, yeah. tough woman, uh, shouting a lot of profanity. Um, you can kind of see where Kaine picked up on a lot of her mannerisms and stuff, mannerisms, mm-hmm. um, and so kind of helps her and takes her home. So that's like the first little short story. Yeah, and then the one after that 
um, it's years later, a few years later, um, they need to go into town for something. I don't know if it's water or they need something from town. Oh, she's like chopping wood. She's chopping wood and then uh, she goes into she town. She can't think, do it. To get medicine. She needs to get medicine or something. Yeah, yeah. She's getting older. And um, Kaine says, I'll go into town for you. This is yeah. usually not a good idea because the people right. hate Kaine in town. But, but the grandma's getting old. She's not well enough. Yeah, she can't do it. To go herself. So Kaine agrees to go. And in doing so, she runs into like the, the leader of these bullies. You know, they, they have a little bit yep. of a spat. And then, but um, he doesn't. He doesn't. I thought that there would be another incident, yeah. but he kind of leaves her alone. Yeah, it seemed like they hadn't seen each other in a long time. Yeah, and then the shopkeeper, where she's going to get the medicine, um, he is warm. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yeah, he's accepting of her, and tells her about um, there's a portrait of some kind in 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 the shop, and um, you know, I think it was his daughter, right? Yeah, and his daughter had died or whatever, and he talks about like the importance of having. This portrait uh, of his daughter and stuff, and uh, he says, "You know, I don't, I don't need for these crayons anymore. You know, you can take them if you want them." Because I think he had been the one to do the portrait or something like that. So she takes the crayons and the medicine with her, and she decides to try and draw a her picture grandma. of her grandmother. It's not very good, well, but okay. it's from the heart. <laughs> yeah. And her grandmother loves it for that reason. Right? Yeah. They said it barely even resembled like a human figure, <laughs> just <laughs> at all, just in general. It does make me wonder, though. There is something um, I don't know because this this comes up quite a bit with the crayon drawings, especially in these alternate endings. Maybe not quite a bit. I think at least twice. Uh, but it's interesting enough to I think point out that when Kaine, I didn't get the impression that these were colored crayons. Yeah. Like like elementary school kid crayons. I got the impression that these were more. Like, like a charcoal pencils, or, yeah, charcoal something, or something that could be used by a professional to possibly make something good, which yeah. is not the Crayola crayons. No. Um, although I'm sure somebody could surprise me with some good Crayola art. Um, but I don't know if that's real, but that's the way I envisioned it. And as soon as they dis- defined how her picture didn't look good and looked wrong and she kind of messed up and it lo- just looked horrible, it made me, and I don't know if there's anything here, I doubt there is, but w- what a shade looks like to me Mm. is a poorly drawn person with a crayon. And the, it, the shades have like lines and um, what would you call them? Like segments and squ- squiggles kind of all around okay. their body all the time. And then they just have two yellow dots for their eyes. And it does look like something a kid would draw if they had a That's black and yellow crayon, right? Mm. And they're trying to draw a person. And it's just kind of a squiggly, squiggly, here's the head. Mm. And that is what the shades look like to me. So... I don't know if there's a real connection here, but at the very least, I kind of like to to think that just in general that the shades resemble a crayon drawing of a person uh, because this this image does end up having value and somehow is able to capture the essence or the spirit of her grandmother in in a way that even later on even the apothecary will admit like wow that's this looks just like her. This is great. And it's like, well, it may have resembled her spirit, which is what the shades are supposed to resemble. Mm. Um, That's an interesting thought. Yeah. That's actually, I I do agree that that the shades do look like like a like a kid drew it with a crane yeah. almost. That's that's an interesting thought. And mostly the human, not the big you know monster right, shades. Right. Those are a different story. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And the grandma loves it. Yep. She loved the picture. She was she like, oh my it. gosh. She just started breaking out laughing like the whole time. She was just laughing. <laughs> Kind of thought it was because it was so bad, but it it really improved her grandma's like health yeah. from then on. And the second short story, while like not necessarily a ton happens in it, it's a good sort of just like 
um, a, a character moment between her and her grandmother, it gives you like a sense that they were together a long time, that there's a bond, a yeah. strong bond between them. Yes. And they live separate from the town. Like the grandma could have stayed living in the village, right? She didn't have a problem with the people other than that they treated her granddaughter daughter like this. Yeah. And so she's By chosen way, to separate herself. I have a question. Herself. Is this her real grandma? I think so. Okay. I couldn't tell if it was a woman that was older that took her in and that you know, she called grandmother. They do mention something about Kaine's parents, but it is totally escaping me right now, like what that was. I'll have to go review the story again. Yeah, I'll maybe put up we'll... I'll put up some caption or something like <laughs> pending. I'll I'll, I'll I clarify into that. it in the edit. All right, please excuse the noise that you might hear in the background. There's some people doing construction work here in the building. But this is mostly for the audio-only listeners who are not seeing what's being shown on the screen. Um, I think the reason why Kaysen was confused or, or was assuming that Kaine's grandmother was not her biological grandmother is because in this part of the story, it says, as a young child, she, meaning Kaine, didn't even know of her grandmother. But when her parents died, the woman quickly accepted her as her own. Grandma, as Kaine called her, was cunning, vulgar, and quick to violence. So this that last part there, Kine, uh, Grandma, as Kaine called her, might have um, led Kaysen to think that it, it wasn't really her grandma, but Kaine just called her that. But the first part of that, uh, as a young child, she didn't even know of her grandmother, but when her parents died, the woman quickly accepted her as her own, I think makes it fairly clear that Callie, who is which is the name of Kine's grandmother, is her biological grandmother. So there you go. Right. In the course of our discussion, we always bring up stuff that I didn't foresee, but that's one of them. There's just so much info. There's so much yes. story. Well, and it's literally text. It's in, like a novel. In near, just generally, like yeah. all of it. There's so much to keep straight that oh, it's yeah. hard to remember everything. But I, I, don't, I do remember there being some mention to her parents, but I don't remember if her grandmother is her biological grandma or not. So I'll look that up. I'm, I'm leaning towards that it wasn't just based on yeah. something, but maybe it was. Um, okay, so then that story ends, and the third short story is basically the story of how she gets possessed by a, by a shade. Yeah. Um, well, she's going to go out to run some kind of errand or something, and um, while she's gone... She comes back and the giant hook is the name, I think, of the shade uh, that you fight a couple of times in the area yeah. in the game. Uh, that big, like, lizard-like um, shade. Yep. That thing shows up and attacks her and kills her grandmother. Yeah. And uh, she tries to fight it and gets, essentially gets killed by it, too. I mean, in a pretty gruesome way. She loses yeah, her she leg. Her, her arm is gone her or arm something. Yeah. Get, like, severed. I think she even gets, like she, one of her eyes, she was blind, or it was yeah, it, yeah. One of it her eyes her up was, pretty bad. Yeah, she loses one of her eyes. She gets she gets killed in a very gruesome way. Well, she's on the brink of death, and then uh, a shade named Tyran, or some people call him Tyran. I I did I didn't hear them pronounce his name throughout so the whole game. So at the very end, when you've unlocked all the endings, there's a little special thank you I message. I did see that, but from I, uh, the the characters. Did they say his name? Kaine says Tyran. Shut up, Tyrion. He'll just make things complicated. Ah, okay. In oh. that. So that's why I'm calling him okay. Tyrion. I know a lot of people call him Tyran. Uh, that's what I called it too. Until she said Tyrion. Until now. <laughs> um, anyways, 
she gets possessed by this shade who like brings her, like resuscitates or brings her back to life and gives her like powers. Yeah. It's kind of like but a pact. They kind of like kind of make a pact an that they make. Yeah. And um, and he's like, you can have revenge or something. Yeah. Well. And this kind of drives her aggressive, rageful side. Right? Is the fact that there's this other person inside of her. Yeah, and he the the other person wants to. Um, Feel things. It's it's like a demonic possession, like your yeah. typical. You know, I'm a spirit. I don't have a body. I need to take your body so that I can feel still and do all the humanly things. Um, which, you know, it seems like the shades want. The shades really want yeah. to inhabit these. Um, what's the word? Replicants. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a pretty big hint there for some. And he just kind of wants to indulge stuff. in his rage and. Yeah, because he's a shade, and, so yeah. he's relapsed. He just hates the world and wants to steal everything. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's what—that's literally all that he wants. And he has an agreement. This is, I think, important for Kaine's character too. The agreement he has with her is, "Hey, if at any point you go soft and you stop wanting to kill things, we're done. I'm taking over. Yeah. I'm taking over your whole body, and you're dead." Yeah. And I feel like at certain points where Kaine would typically want to show some type of humanity, <laughs> yeah, or has compassion, anything yeah. like that. This has to always be at the back of her mind. Like, I, I need to remain a tough, hardened person. Otherwise, my, I lose my body. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Because this is, all of this stuff is essentially to explain why Kaine is able to understand the language of shades. Mm-hmm. Because she has a shade in her body. Yeah. So the, the entire like, point of these other routes is essentially to recontextualize the story we just saw in the A route. So you, mm-hmm. you go through the A route basically from the perspective of the main character, of Nier, who cannot understand the shades yeah. and is very singularly focused on destroying all the shades and saving his sister and nothing else matters to him, right? Um, but with Kaine now as a party member and, and the whole playthrough is meant to be sort of her perspective, which I think is a shame that they didn't make her the playable character yeah. in Route B. I wonder if there was some difficulties about that, but at least in Route E you do get to play yeah. as her briefly. In this, in this remastered version, the newest version yeah. just came out, Ending E gives you the ability to play as Kaine now. Which does make me wonder if they may have wanted to do that before but didn't, didn't or couldn't for whatever reason. For whatever reason, reason yeah. right? But, and this is what they do in Near Automata. You oh, play yeah. through as 2B through Ending A, and then you play as 9S through mm-hmm. more or less the same bosses and a lot of the same things, but it's from his perspective because mm-hmm. he can hack, and so he gets to see like yeah. more of the thoughts of the robots that you're fighting, mm. and it, it's, it's, a, it's meant to recontextualize what you're doing. Okay, so I want to put that out there that this is the intention of Route B. The whole intention is to recontextualize the story and give you the other perspective, the Shades perspective. I will precurse everything I'm going to say about that by saying I really, unfortunately, I don't think it was done that well. (laughs) You know, I I really, really love the concept of that. I love the concept of here's your original playthrough, this is what you think was going on. Now we're gonna have you play it again, but now you're gonna see these added scenes of context and it's gonna change how you think about it. Yeah. Love to death the concept, the idea of that. I think that in too many ways, 
Taro took the easy route. Yes, and that became clear when we fight the wolves again yes. in the facade. Yes. That's where it was just like, like it, he did, it kept doing the same things over and yes. over, right? The shades are very innocent, good, lovely yes. people. And That's every the time they just keep going. And they only needed to do it once before you automatically like insert that into your previous playthrough. Yes. But they, yeah, the, it was done a little I, too much. I felt like... It, 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 it takes the easy route in that in almost every circumstance, maybe aside from the mermaid episode, it's just about... Which is really well done. <laughs> tricked you, you actually killed a kid. Yeah, I am. Good job. <laughs> Who was not aggressive <laughs> at all. Nice job, guy. Yeah. You should feel guilty about what you did. Yes. It felt... T it leaned too hard in that direction. And what I think... I would have rather seen is building a moral gray area where it's like it's hard to decide who was right and who was wrong because that's what like the reality that he was inspired by right is more gray than is black and white much yes. harder to determine absolutely who's right and wrong yeah because if you look at it from this perspective I can see that if you look at it from this perspective I can see that it, as long as you're not, um, I guess, too ideologically driven yourself, right? And, and you're like mm. sure that you're right about the things that you believe. If you're trying to examine an event in an objective way and to detach yourself from it and to really examine the points of view, it gets difficult in a lot of the more real, in a lot of conflicts in real life to decide who's right and who's wrong. Now, that's yeah. not to say that that's always the case. Sometimes it is more clear than others who's right and wrong. I'm not you know, trying to make any definitive statement about that. What I'm saying is, is that I, it, I would have found it personally more interesting had that been the attempt. I but so it, I feel like in too many cases, it, it's, it's made black and white in a way that is too simplistic to be interesting to me. Mm. Um, and, and, and none of these were more uh, flagrant than the junk heap uh, scenario. The little kid shade. Um, I didn't like the junk heap scenario in the A, and I didn't I, like it, it in the B either. It was my least favorite, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it, I don't know. I, I had problems with Gideon uh, mm. to begin with, right? I like, know. <laughs> Gideon just annoyed me from the start, yep, yep, yep. and I didn't sympathize with him. And even, even in the A, uh, the A playthrough, mm. I could tell like it was his own fault. It was mm -hmm. Gideon's fault his brother yep. got hurt or died or whatever. It was not, and he looks and sees that robot, and he like blames the robot, but the robot didn't do anything. Right. Now we don't know anything about the shade at that point, but in the in the recontextualization of that scene, it's like the shade and the robot are kind of just looking on, and the shade even expresses like, "Oh man, they seemed nice. Like that's too bad. You know, I really wish you know something could be done about this. They had nothing right. to do with it. They had no ill intent. There was no." They're completely innocent. They just play together and they like talk about traveling the world. Yeah. And it's just a little boy who just loves his robot friend so much. <laughs> and it's the just pure friend. innocence. Yeah. Nothing. And, and I don't know. It, it, it was, I think what is meant to happen is you're supposed to go, oh no, I feel so bad about what I did. But I don't. And, and I don't feel bad because the the... This is arbitrary. The, the, the storyteller chose yes. to withhold this from me. Yes, on purpose. And there was no way for me to know this. There's no reason to feel guilty about it, in my opinion. 
And I feel like that idea could have been executed in these scenes better. What were you gonna say? Oh, I agree with that just in general. Um, I was going to say something along the lines of, I, I, have, I have questions about <laughs> the shades in general because it, aren't shades relapped gestalts? Isn't that the idea? I know where you're going with this, and I have the same issue, yes. Is Some of the shades are not aggressive, so it, it, it suggests they're not relapsing necessarily, yes. right? Or, or is it you relapse and then you unrelapse, you you go back, or once you relapse you're a shade but you can still not, you can still stop being, um, what's the word, resentful against yeah. the replicants or whatever? It's like they they play it off as in shades are monsters because they are relapsed human souls that are no longer like in their right mind. They're no longer right. sane, they're no longer sentient. They're mindless, they're aggressive. They they yes. come in and kill people. And they're resentful of like the replicants. As far as what I could tell, they're resentful that, oh, you guys have bodies, I want one of those. Like, I'm yeah. supposed to have that, you give it to me. Yeah. I'm gonna kill you. And like Hook and a lot of these giant shades that are like gigantic monsters that just come in and like murder yeah. people, like Kaine's grandmother and even in the area, like picking up the little pods and like throwing them around and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like clearly they're dangerous. Th there is very good reason for people to be afraid of shades. Absolutely. And, and, to and to defend themselves and to kill shades because they're being attacked by them. But it's like, it, it, and I'm not saying this is the case, I'm not saying this is the intention, but the way that it is played in some of these recontextualizations, he, he makes the shade as if it's totally innocent in all yeah, of this. Yeah, completely. And, and it was had no fault at all. But it shouldn't be a shade if that were the case. Right, because it theoretically relax. Unless right? I, we're not understood. People in the comments can explain this, please. I do want to know about that. That's one of my big notes here. It's, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's like, so th they also have no way of communicating with each other. The, the replicants shades. and the shades oh, each other, yeah. can't talk. So mm -hmm. there's no chance, but, 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 huge caveat, they seem to be capable of possessing replicants. Yes. This happens not only to Kaine, but it happens to a bunch of the people in the area. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, my, my, my wife's been acting strange lately, they'll say, yes. as you're running through. And, and then there's the girl that everyone's like, she's just a kid, and Kaine's like, I promise you it's she's a, a shade. shade. And right? it's like, okay, uh, but. And you talk to one in the, when they open their little mercantile, you yeah. talk to him and he's speaking back to you like, and oh, aren't you friends with Kaine? And he talk, yeah. He's speaking yeah. to you. So it is possible for Shades to possess replicants and talk and communicate. So there is a yes. method for us to communicate and have some kind of diplomacy instead of just, oh, this guy comes through and rampages and kills yeah. us all. Nothing we can do about it. Get so pissed. It's like, talk to the guy. Explain the situation. Right. Explain to Nier. What replicants and or what gestalts are, <laughs> you know? Like, how is he supposed to know what's happening if the shades can't explain themselves? It's right. like the method exists for them to communicate, but yes. the storyteller doesn't give us a chance to learn any of this you would until the big exposition dump at the very end yeah. when it's too late. You would think even like accidentally that there would be some sort of like the, with the mermaid story, there would be some breakthrough where a replicant teaches a shade how to write or talk yes. or something yes. and they learn about each other and it becomes an understanding thing but oh for thousands of years I guess that just never happened except for possibly at this 
point. Like, yeah, but. like where shades can find a way, they have the means to talk and say, I know that some shades are aggressive. Some of us are not. Yes. Some of us are passive. You don't have to murder every single one of us. Mm-hmm. Let's find a way to like coexist somehow. Now, there is the backside of this is the fact that I don't know how aware, I, I would guess most of these gestalts are aware of the program that they're a part of. I think because that's what they say. They're, they're resentful of the replicants gaining their own sentience right. because they can't. they might see them as these are just shells. They're just bodies yeah, that are that's mindless. My, this belongs to me. Yeah, that's my body. And in fact, this is um, hinted at when Tyran, I think, when Tyran first possesses Kaine, Kaine says, what are you doing with my body? And yeah. he responds, your body, question mark, question mark, question yeah. mark. But then he doesn't elaborate on that. But the implication is the shade is very resentful that these replicants gain sentience and think that they are the rightful owners of these shells. Yeah. When, according to them, the reason the shells were created and according to the shades, uh, which they are right, technically, mm-hmm. those shells were made for the shades. And yeah. that also explains why the shades can inhabit, they, they can possess the, the shell people. I don't know why they don't all do that. Yes. Um, but for some reason they don't. But maybe it's because when they do, they're still relapsed, and so they just try to kill everything, which is what Tyrion is trying to do. Well, and I think it's what happens in the Aerie, too. It's like they're kind of going crazy. Like there's a part where you're kind of climbing around, and you hear a boy in one of the pots saying, Mom, no, what are you doing? Ow, that hurts. Yes. So like yeah. obviously, even though they can possess sh- uh, replicant bodies that maybe were not their own, mm-hmm. um, there's probably a compatibility issue and they can uh, still yeah. continue yeah. relapsing, and then they eventually go, um, they go mad, or they get mm. aggressive, or whatever. So, like, that's still a possibility. But, anyways, I know that there are some of these further explanations for why the shades or the 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 not yet totally relapsed, still sane, passive shades yes. that could possibly not really respect replicants in a way to where maybe they feel a need to try to communicate or explain to them. But I just feel like there's a few things like this that leave room for greater nuance in the scenarios beyond just uh, tricked you, sorry you killed a child. Mm -hmm, Don't you feel bad about that? I agree. I agree. Sorry, I don't. (laughs) Well, especially not as it keeps going. And and because our first, I think our first, I could be wrong about this, I think our first intro was Hansel and Gretel, right? Yeah. To this, to to Because you go back to the Lost Shrine first, and they cut the scenes of Gretel, I think, the one that's alive still. And he's mourning the loss of the other. And, And he says, what does he say? He says something, I believe, that I wrote down here. Um, okay, I didn't write it down here, but it was something along the lines of like friendship and we're friends yeah. and friends help each other and we're here. Power friendship it, stuff. It was Kingdom Hearts stuff. Yes. Yeah, straight up. And um, he had just, just, just barely learned about the power of friendship when we show up. <laughs> right <laughs> then as he's sitting there and all the shades are there and he's like, we're, you know, we're all kind of equals, aren't we? <laughs> and then, boom, we kick down the door, and he's yep. like, oh, I have to protect my new friends. And, the, and you can read that dialogue now. So when the Shades are talking while you're fighting them, Kaine, because you have Kaine in the party, and she understands them, you can read what they're saying. It's translated. Yes. And he's saying things like, please stop murdering my friends. They mean and so much to me. Why are you hurting my friends? <laughs> 
I don't. Uh, this can quickly uh, become us ripping on Nier a little. I too know, much. and I don't want to do that because <laughs> it's a really good game. I really <laughs> like this game. I really like this game. Yeah. Like, I like this game enough to say that it's like among my favorites. Not, maybe not like a top ten, but you know, up there in the top twenty-five, maybe top fifty range. Like, Nier is that good to me. Yeah, I really like it. It is a game that inspired a lot of thought in me, like an introspection, and I thought yeah, a lot good. about this game. And I think that it has it executes on a lot of things really, really mm-hmm. well. So although it sounds like I'm being extremely critical or that this ruined my experience, that's not the case, I assure you. But I do feel like it under-delivers on the premise because it, it just goes too simple with the recontextualization. And this is the point, the entire point of the B playthrough is this. Yes. So this is something that I meant to say while we were recording the podcast that kind of just got lost as as Case and I were going back and forth. But I hope that it clarifies what I'm trying to get at with my criticism of a lot of the Route B stuff. I really like the way that Wikipedia defines the term melodrama because I think it really hits on the head the problems that I have with a lot of writing in JRPGs and anime, particularly in the last, you know, decade or or maybe 15 years or something. It says, a melodrama is a dramatic work wherein the plot, which is typically sensational and designed to appeal strongly to the emotions, takes precedence over detailed characterization. Melodramas typically concentrate on dialogue, which is often bombastic or excessively sentimental rather than action. So if we apply that to what we're seeing here, right, you have these shade characters using what I would classify as excessively sentimental dialogue to get across this powerful emotion. But the problem is that showing one or two short little scenes where we get like this very basic background on the shades is not enough to really make a character out of them. It doesn't give us enough background to like make these shades into fully realized characters. Yet, when they try to pay off that sequence, they're using dialogue that is so excessively sentimental that it's hard for me to really feel what they're trying to express. And I think this is a problem that is shared with a lot of anime and JRPGs, is they're, they're attempting to deliver this really powerful emotion, but they aren't giving us enough character to earn it, to justify it. And for that reason, much of the Route B scenes didn't work for me. And now we're going to get into a little bit of Yoko Taro's like philosophy on how to reach players' emotions in a minute. He's done some talks on this. Like we'll talk about it here in a little bit in the podcast. But I forgot to add this thought in the conversation that Case and I were having back and forth. And so a lot of this dialogue, a lot of these scenarios in the recontextualization feel very melodramatic to me. And they didn't work for me to reach my emotions, if that makes sense. 
Oh, maybe there's a few things at the end. But for the most part, this is the entire point. And for hours and hours, you're replaying the same game again, which is already pretty tedious. But the, and you already learned that these are the human spirits, right? But it's just being hammered in really It's hard. really like on the you nose. You are a bad person for doing this. And it, it's entirely possible that that is intentional because yeah. my understanding, this links up with Nier Automata a little bit, or Automata, I guess. Automata. Um, a little bit um, in the general idea that this game is technically un unbeatable or it's unwinnable because the way to win, so to speak, because this game is having you destroy humanity and you're just sitting there doing it, mm -hmm. the way to beat the game is to put it down and to not play it, to stop playing. I have a note on this. Well, that, I think that's intentional. I think that's intentional. And I think he wanted... I don't know why any game developer would, would want this, but especially, I guess it's it, it's in one of the alternate endings. But there's a bit of a loop that kind of happens depending yeah. on how you answer, and ending E kind of feeds back into the other endings yeah. loops. And there is um, a bit of pointlessness to a lot of this yes. kind of stuff, which brings into the whole nihilism that's, kind of aspect. That's part of the reason yeah. why I love Nier so much. Because it is... It's a, introspective, like crazy, on the player, on you. Well, it's, it's what do you call it? A, a, I don't know if deconstruction is the right word, but it presents itself like the typical fantasy RPG save the world plot. Yeah, at first. But at, yeah. by the end of that, you realize you're actually hastening the world's end. You are ending everything. You are yeah. kind of the villain of the story, mm -hmm. right? I love that idea. And the only way to not be the villain is to stop playing. But yes, but here's the problem. It is technically, in like a technical sense, an RPG, right? Right. And this is something I've made other videos about on the channel. What mm. is the most important aspect of an RPG? Okay. In my opinion, it's in the name. It's the role-playing aspects. Right. It's the making choices about what your character becomes, like a progression system in terms of like a customizing their abilities and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But in addition to that, making choices in the story, right? Mm. And Japanese RPGs leaned away from that, where yeah. they wanted to tell pre-established stories yeah, and they, they kind of took the choice away from you. And they held on to remnants or parts of it. Like, you can name your character. You can <laughs> name Cloud to be whatever you want him to be. Yeah. But Cloud is still a character, and you can have some choices about how to respond sometimes. But mm -hmm. Cloud is an established character with an arc, right? It, it, you can tell a better linear story um, it, when you don't give that much freedom to the player to make decisions. But that kind of separates it a little bit. Now, in Nier, a lot of the, re I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast too, a lot of the shades are passive early mm -hmm. in the game. Yeah, that's they true. They don't attack you um, at all. You can just walk around to them and they won't do anything to you. And so when you're going up the Lost Shrine for the first time to go mm -hmm. get Yona back, there are many times where a door is closed and you cannot open it. Like, th there's no option to proceed through the door. Because I was trying to just unless run through it. Unless you kill the shades, Unless right? you kill the shades. And they're I, not attacking you. Well, I can explain. Okay, so this is important for the idea of shades that we, we may have something wrong from our discussion 10, 15 minutes ago. That a relapse shade does not necessarily mean that they are aggressive. resentful or an aggressive yet. Yes. It just means that their spirit, that something it's, didn't work, right? Maybe there They're, are different stages. They lost their mind somehow. Like there's the beginning of relapse, like maybe Yona, right? Like Yona's relapsed Right, because clearly she, yeah. She's a relapsed gestalt, yes. but she's not aggressive. She's, she's also being kept in stasis or whatever. But the point right, is, is maybe like can, so we don't phase know. one of relapse, 
means that you <laughs> yeah. turn into the little monster shade thing, but you're not yeah. necessarily aggressive. You haven't lost your sentience yet. Mm. And then maybe phase two is you kind of, uh, you become more monster-like, and then by the time you like totally relapse, you're a pure monster at that point. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the case, right? And I think there's something about, you know how we are the Shadow Lord to the Shades, right? Yes. Uh, I think I think Yoko Taro, because the first Shades you meet in the game as well, just on the field, don't fight you either. Um, I think Yoko Taro wanted to push you in the direction of you started, the you killed them first, right? Yes. And then once, once you proved to be an aggressive threat to the Shades, then the legend of near the Shadow Lord or the Light Lord, I guess they yeah. would have said, um, it begins to spread and they know who you are as is shown this in is, the Eerie later a, on. Totally an I am legend situation. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Where it's like you become that evil legend that, that like, they tell about Will you. Will Smith is the real right? vampire here. Yes, exactly. He's the one kidnapping people <laughs> yeah. and doing experiments in his, his mansion. So uh, near. It's basically that situation. Nier is the one who um, has that reputation, and as soon as they see them, him, they um, immediately assume he's going to kill them, and so they have to fight. They can't just not fight. I think, I think Yoko Taro may have understood that well enough to have forced you to kill Shades at the beginning of the game so that you can't... There wouldn't be an excuse of like, why are these shades all trying to attack me? I'm just defending myself, right? Yeah. It's like, no, you instigated it. You instigated it. And it's your fault that they're all fighting, right? But now, I clearly just, the shades have been attacking and it was an issue before. Yes. But so it's, it's kind of a at chicken. least for you, and you killed them first. That at least is true to life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like there's these conflicts that have been going on for 50, 100 years mm-hmm. longer. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a lot of, you started it. No, you yeah. did. And nobody actually remembers like what really happened? Nobody yeah. was actually there. They've just been told yes. that they started it. No, they started it. No, they started it. Yeah. And you did this to me. And so that all gets lost in these conflicts that go on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so like who actually started this? Who was the first? Did the, the replicants I don't kill the first shade? Or did the shade kill the first replicant? We don't know. And that's yeah. kind of true to life. You don't always know. And so these things can become yeah. complicated, right? Um, and sometimes it's just subtle. Yes. Like when you say what came first, the chicken or the egg. I'm going to be a little <laughs> technical here, but I think this is actually relevant and kind of important. Um, <laughs> you can trace chickens back to, I don't know, 10 million years or whatever, the modern chickens we have. And then, but eggs have been around for like 100 million years or more, I guess, 200 million years since like eggs started being a thing. And so it's like, hey, well, the egg came first. And whenever, whatever the first thing that we would have ever called a chicken, draw the line there, the first technical chicken to have been born, that would, chicken came out of an egg. And evolved, therefore, the egg came first. It right? evolved or it had a yes. um, mutation. The trouble being... Yeah. <laughs> You can't draw the line between what the chicken was and its parents weren't a chicken, but the kids were a chicken. Yes. Right? They're Despite too similar. Despite the fact that there, there has to have been a point where you could have crossed that line at some point, but <laughs> you would not have been able to tell. It's too subtle. It was too subtle as that continued to happening to say that, oh, the, the child is a chicken, the, the mother was not, and it hatched from an egg, therefore the egg came first, not the chicken. Right. So, And that's true of these conflicts as well. It's like... A small issue 
that you couldn't even trace it back far enough because you could find out who started the first war, but why did that start? You know, yeah. and it's like you, you, it, like minor conflicts going all the way back to maybe some kid stole a toy from some other kid, and you know that the ripple effect of that just e- eventually ended up in this massive war. And so it's like really small, subtle things at first, and you can't draw that distinction to say he started it or he didn't start it. Yeah. So, like, I get that. I mean, we can kind of. We can kind of uh, speculate on that, or, or, or draw that conclusion, or say that no. there could be some, you know, nuance to that. I'd say the shades probably started though, because <laughs> I, I because they so. relapsed they and they're mindless. Not they, not all. They would have been aggressive first. Right? Exactly. I mean, the assumption is that. But you know, let's the just replicants say we don't even know that what sure. the shades were. <clears throat> yeah, we don't first. know that for sure. But my point is, is that I think things like this mm-hmm. could have been explored in the recontextualization of the scenarios instead of just always giving us a little kid that we Mm -hmm. murdered. Or a dog, like, and why did he, (laughs) he's he's a human spirit, right? Yes. But he's a dog. So I, I, that's, I think, I wanted to ask The human spirits can become monstrous in some way. The the idea that I got, okay, let's actually, we're we're getting so deep in kind of all over the place. We have a lot of like questions. (laughs) Let's actually take the scenarios one by one so that we've at least clarified what each one is. Okay. So they recontextualized the Lost Shrine scenario by the Hansel and Gretel boss characters learning to uh, make friends with the Shades and understand the power of friendship. Yes. And then you kill all his friends. And oh, it's darn. really sad. So sad. Oh man, we murdered a bunch of his friends. Why can't you leave us alone? Yeah. Um, second scenario is a choice. You you either go to the junk heap or you go to the forest of myth. So let's just do forest of myth first. Um, you go back there, and that's more or less exactly the same, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think there's any difference oh, in the I forest of myth Did when I you make revisit. A note? It. I don't think there's any change in it because that's just the text adventure story with the shade that's inside yeah, the tree. Yeah, yeah, that's. Not and I don't think they do anything to recontextualize I didn't, I didn't that see scenario. Either, yeah. So the forest of myth, I think you can throw out, and then so junk heap is after that, and you learn about the fact that there was a mother shade with a little boy, and I guess there were people who were coming into the junk heap and killing shades, and she was like trying to protect him, and she mm. ran out to fight and uh, was killed defending him, and he's alone. And then this P-33 robot comes in and meets him, and they become friends, and they kind of travel together, mm-hmm. they're buddies now. And like, so they, um, they kind of form a bond. Yeah, what, right? Giant, what's that movie from 99? Iron Giant? Iron Giant, the just Iron like Giant. that, there yeah. you go. So yeah, P-33 is the Iron Giant, <laughs> and uh, they become friends, and they're just kind of you know chilling in the yeah. junk heap. They're not hurting anybody. Just trying they're to make friends. They're not causing any problems. Yeah. They're just living their life. Yeah. They're doing no wrong at all. Nothing, innocent, completely. Not one iota, not one thing wrong with them. And uh, Gideon blames them for everything and sends you on a quest to murder them for him. And oh, isn't that a tragic thing? Okay, that's the recontextualization of the junk heap. Yeah. Um, Real quick, the Forest of Myth, let me, because I feel like there might have been something a little different. I have a note here, but I can't remember if this was in the first one or not. Um, The tree was beginning to have a soul. I said, important context for the game, Yoko Taro is is toying with the possibility of artificial sentience. Um, So it seemed like uh, as we were like killing the tree and it was like talking to us and then we would like slice its stomach and it was like, wasn't that a it shade? It was though? like happy. Yes, there was a shade, but um, you kill, you slice the shade open, but and the take story the, the was memory with the tree. Back. Yeah, and the memories kept falling out, but we were hearing 
The tree talking. It was just the tree talking. It wasn't yeah. the shade. No, I don't think okay, so. Okay, okay. Then it was the same. Yeah. I think it was the same as the original. Okay, then um, let's just do facade next. So you, you go to facade and the first thing that you see when you enter like the desert screen is... Th- now, of all of the recontextualized scenes, this one I felt was the most effective, in my opinion. Um, and it's for a couple of reasons. So it opens up on the wolves and the wolf pack leader, the shade wolf. And they talk about how, oh, look what they've done to our beautiful forest. Yeah, like, but before that, they're just like, why do the humans hunt us? Yeah. Why won't they stop hunting us? We do nothing wrong. They just come <laughs> they're, and they kill they're, us. They're, I will get into this because okay, you're right. Okay. But he's talking but the about how thing, yeah. they, they, the humans somehow turned a forest into a desert. I mean, that would take... a really long time to it happen. Would, especially and if a lot of, were the ones a doing lot it. of humans chop it down trees to make that happen. So I don't uh, know exactly yeah. the time scale we're talking here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but these wolves seem to remember there being a forest. I don't know how old these wolves are supposed to be. A little bit of me going eh, at that. Yeah. But the point is the wolves feel like their home was taken from them. And I mean even Vice when you're running through the desert is like why do wolves live in the desert. Don't you find that strange? And near's like, like they wouldn't have anything to eat here. Don't they usually live in forests or woods right. or something like that? So I don't know what the people of Facade did to the woods and how they transformed an, uh, an ecosystem that was forest into like desert sand dunes. I mean, that's like quite a transformation. It is. <laughs> and it, I just really... I, I just, I wonder, I wonder, yeah. Uh, who it's knows, so maybe that's in Grimoire Near. I guess I'll find out when I read that. Yeah. That's not really the important thing, because we're getting at, like, what does the story mean right now. Mm-hmm. So, okay. At least the very first time you ever came to the desert, mm-hmm. remember the wolves kind of start attacking you, but, like, after a minute, the wolf pack leader in the distance howls at them and calls them off. Yeah. So there's at least, and this is like before the time skip. So there's like a history of this pack leader calling off the wolves from hurting people, or at least mm-hmm. trying to get them to stop. Now, clearly he wasn't always successful at that because Kaine had saved, I think it's Fira, or, yeah, or from, some from little girl from yeah. Facade from being eaten by a wolf. But who knows, maybe she right? was the bad guy. But like... Yeah, who knows what actually happened, I guess. But the point Mm. is that wolves were carrying these children off Mm. a long time ago. And the reason that the people of Facade hate the wolves is because the wolves eat their children. Right. Right? And this wolf pack leader, it seemed, who is a shade, which means that it's possessed by a human soul, was trying to stop them from doing this to some degree. Right? He's kind of trying to lead them Mm. and like, hey, don't attack those people. Those are humans. Come back. So the wolves are just being wolves. Yes, and, and he's trying the to like... in wolf language was trying to corral them. Right. So there is at least some history of this wolf pack leader not just being mm. purely aggressive. Mm. And in this conversation with the wolves, he says something like, um, I understand all too well like why human beings are the way they are or something. It's a hint at the fact that he's a human soul inhabiting right. this wolf, right? So mm. he gets people. And he's, he's trying so to... So he's a relapsed shade who remembers his past. Yes, and he's this trying... This is where I first had some of my bigger questions. He's trying to some degree to, li- to coexist with human beings because they keep saying, let's go kill him. He's like, no, like, just give right. it a chance. That I know that the humans can coexist with us. Mm-hmm. It's more or less what that first scene is. Okay, then you, 
you go in and you start the whole wedding sequence, like the preparation for the wedding, and you learn that a bunch of soldiers from Sassad went to like the den of the wolves and just like massacred just, a like, bunch of them, them all, yeah. to, to make sure that you won't come mess with us tomorrow for the wedding. For the wedding, right. Like back off, like we're gonna kill a bunch of you. Like, and and, yeah. and when, when the wolf pack leader comes back and sees this, and this is, it was really gruesome, and there's a lot of really painful shots of wolves impaled and struggling and just mm-hmm. like very, very tortured that I felt were effective. Like the mm-hmm. direction of that scene is good yeah. in, in evoking the right emotions. Mm. And this is something I want to mention about Taro too. He's done like some talks and stuff where he talks about like the content of the game is not what's important to him as much as the emotion that's happening in the player as a result of it. Sure. So he has like a little graph where he points at the game and he, he writes not and important. Then he, and then he points to the <laughs> and then he points at the bubble over idea of someone's head. Yeah. This is the important thing. Yeah, right? and that is true, and that is general for art, I think. Right. You, yeah. So like he's not as concerned necessarily about whether or not everything aligns here as long as it is achieving the correct emotion in the player and it's yeah. evoking, it's making them feel something. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit how I felt about this scene. Like I'm sitting here having all these questions about like, you know, this is too simplistic in terms of recontextualizing, but like that scene worked for me. The pain that the wolves are feeling and him coming and seeing this and becoming so angry about it that he's like, we're going to retaliate mm-hmm. against the humans now, right? Like it right. feels justified I feel that they are justified having seen how badly they were massacred and the pain and the anguish they experienced. I understand it now. So of all of the recontextualized scenes, this one was the one that worked the most for me because it it brought the emotion despite the questions I have about the content in the game, right? Interesting. So they go in the- Yeah, it didn't work as as well for me, I suppose. Um, But I guess it was more or less just the wolf just talking, lamenting how they, you know, why do the humans kill us? Which is what all the shades that, were doing. Yes. And I, that was the point where I was like, hey, I think every shade, the whole rest of the game, that's all we're going to be hearing from all of them. Yeah. Because in the retaliation back after Fira is killed, mm-hmm. and you come back to like basically slaughter them. Yeah, and there's like six wolves left. Like yeah. they're all gone. <laughs> they're done. And the King of Assad jumps and spears yeah. him through the eye. Through the eye. <laughs> the, the wolf pack leader says, what did we do to deserve this? Yes. When clearly he knows exactly what the wolves <sighs> did to deserve this. They ate that, and killed a bunch of kids from Facade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, In that moment, he must be referring to like the, what the do we start do of the war previously. I don't know. I don't know. It just it doesn't work because right. it's, it's, it's too... It's too simplistic. It's, yeah. They're trying too hard to do a complete reversal. We feel like we're the good guys. Yeah. Actually, you're the bad guys. You know how These guys were all innocent. They did nothing wrong to you, is what he's trying to show. But it, I'm not convinced that's the case. I think I, I, think I might get where Yoko Taro is going with this. And I like this back and forth because we can like work through some of this sure. stuff, at least a little bit. Because it is, it is dense, it's difficult, and it's not something you immediately understand yeah. after playing the game. But I believe what Yoko Taro is doing, like, what if he did make one of the shades evil? Yeah. Like, I just want to kill humans, you all suck, I'm going to kill you all. Um, well, that wouldn't do anything emotionally, right, to yeah. the player. So the player would be like, oh, I can kill this guy. Okay, it's okay to kill this guy. 
But the concept is it's never okay to kill another person, generally speaking, right? That's like the rule, Yokotaro's rule of, of something. It's never okay to kill another person. Therefore, every single time that he shows this, he kind of has to, and th this would almost be, it's almost the tediousness that I don't like. He has to insert that at some point every time yeah. because otherwise you wouldn't feel bad about killing somebody and you're supposed to always feel bad about killing somebody. But you're playing a game and it gets boring and repetitive because you're playing the same game again. Again and again and, and again. you don't know exactly why at first, but you learn why, but then it gets old and repetitive because, yeah, I already get it. These are humans, whatever. Okay, I'm just playing so that I can beat all five endings or whatever. And this is part of the, like, it's repetitive and weird and, and kind of a little bit obnoxious that, that all the humans are so good and you're just killing them. <laughs> but at the same time, all the humans are good and you're just killing them. Yeah. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Why are you playing this game? Yeah. There, there is, I think a lot of it comes back to that. Now, I don't think that's a great excuse for putting some mundanity, not mundanity, what would be the word? Some, um, I don't know, tediousness into your game, like on purpose. Um, repetitive nature. Really. Yeah. yeah. But that is what he chose to do. You are playing the game again, at least the second half of it. Yeah. You're just playing it again. And the, you can't make that not tedious. Although Ending E found a way to kind of change it. Well, I think, again, if they had made Kaine the primary player, character. Then that would have changed enough to where it would yeah. have been more interesting. Like a different yes. set of fighting you See, know, just mechanics. something like that would have made it more interesting along with the, okay, everyone I'm killing is an individual person and it's never okay to kill a person. Yeah. Then you can kind of get where he's going with it. Um, but I don't know, for some reason it took me a while to but come it, to that. But it's that concept. I mean, again, you, you know, you're, you're phrasing it as... It's never okay to kill a person, right? I believe um, that's how Taro it, let's, is, let's, is presenting it. I, I don't know for sure if that's his intention or not, but let's say it is. Okay. I, I would think it's obvious that's not true. That the, that the, From the most idea humans, is yes. that it's never okay to kill someone. We, it's we not talked correct. about this last podcast because Taro does have kind of an idealized yeah, idea. Um, this was kind yeah. of, um, I think, a, a, a valid criticism of like the pacifist route of Undertale. Yes, right? exactly. Where they try to play it off like this kind of like blanket pacifism is always the right answer. Right. And it's like, yeah, in an ideal world, that's true. But the world's n not ideal. And, and sometimes there really are people out there who intended to do harm to you who mm -hmm. are not going to listen to reason and uh, have, have, do not care whatsoever about what you feel. You cannot, there's no amount of talking or no amount of um, diplomacy that mm -hmm. will fix this. This person is bent on doing harm. Right. And so you have to fight them. That is the case sometimes. Yes. There are, there are times when you have to defend yourself against something that is not going to listen. Mm -hmm. There's, it's not black and white like this. I feel like Yoko Taro <laughs> just kind of wants to ignore that fact. He, but it just seems that way throughout the game that pacifism is th is the right way. I don't know. We talked about this last podcast. Like, is so it wrong to kill much. Hook? I don't think Yokotaro would say that. But Hook had to have been a human at some point. It's a shade. Right? Yes. Is it yes. wrong? But Hook comes in and murders Kaini's grandmother and her and a bunch of people in the area. Yes. It's not wrong to defend yourself against that, that shade. And Yokotaro, I guess, probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't say that. And do we hear, do we hear the thoughts of... Well, I mean, it, it tries, I to, it tries to impersonate her grandmother, remember? Well, I do remember that. But um, while we're actually fighting it, do we hear it talking to us? Um, no, because I think I you, don't you fight it twice in the first part of the game. 
So before the time skip, so you don't have Kaine there to ah, translate the thoughts of the sense. monster. There you go. Okay. Only in the so cutscene. we don't scene, have that. Only well, in the cutscene where it's basically trying to impersonate you know her what? grandmother and trick her. Maybe that's why we didn't get, why Yokozaro chose to have things happen at a certain point. Um, because there are certain shades that did deserve to die, but he doesn't want to show us that. Yeah, he, that's a he good point. He doesn't want us to see, uh, to feel justified in killing anybody. He every, doesn't want us to feel like it was okay to kill any of them. Every boss shade that I you think. fight in the second part of the game is recontextualized to be somewhat innocent. Again, yeah, excluding... Yeah, and even just the little shades that you ex- sometimes Excluding Luis, the girl in the seafront one. I think that one is is presented in a way to where it doesn't feel like that, she's totally A, a lot of thought was put into that one. That one was better. But yeah, but yeah because like, she still does feel kind of innocent in some way of something. Because <laughs> she was trying to do something it from been, her heart. It was yeah. just, she was wrong. But it, I, I didn't feel great she's, about killing her. If our theory <laughs> about the stages or phases of relapse is correct, She's like way down here. Yeah, where it's like where I she, have to eat humans. She can't like um, critically think. So she's yeah. she's um, she's doing something with maybe it's well intentioned, mm-hmm. but just totally misunderstanding right. th- that it's wrong. And because right? she's portrayed as a child, maybe that makes it all the more like were she an adult, you'd be like, this shouldn't. Right. You, can, you can't do this. But because it's a kid, it just feels different. I did not feel great about killing her. But going going back to Despite Hook, the I mean, fact like, that she was so I, w- I would have liked to have seen his attempt to recontextualize that monster. Yeah. You're right. Maybe you fight it twice in the first part of the game because how do you possibly recontextualize Hook to be like, actually, Yeah. because it was obviously just a clearly, visibly, bloodthirsty, totally relapsed, aggressive monster. Yeah. And, and even in the, in the short story, the Kaine short story, it talks a little bit. Or, or at least oh, she gets the feeling oh, of yeah. its bloodlust. No, right? you're right because it's like, yeah, yeah, that's so right. Because it's like you're you're stupid, you're foolish. What are you doing? There's yeah, yeah. nothing about that's this true. monster that book. is innocent at all. And you're not controlling Kaine there, I suppose. Yeah. So you're not you, the player, aren't the one. So, um, anyways, the monster at that point. I, there's another there's another point huh. I want to make, and there was actually a comment about it that I want to read that emphasizes the same thought that I'm having on it. Mm-hmm. But let's first do the seafront. Scenario uh, as like the as the final uh, the mermaid one can recontextualize scenario yeah. right so um, this scenario is there's a shipwreck that shows up in seafront and they added a couple of NPCs into seafront who are like a married couple who constantly yeah. argue with each other yeah. and so in uh, the first act you do some side quests for them because they're in the village learn, first, you learn right? about their relationship yeah and fighting the, with the each famous. Other. Fights, <laughs> yeah, they're like famous in the town for because they yes. fight all the time. Um, and then you know you go back and, and she's like, oh, my husband's been missing, and he was like a ferryman, so he was the one who, yeah. would, who would transport you around. So the map. you couldn't go where you needed to go until you got found, found him, him yeah. right? So he's missing, and a bunch of other people from the town are missing. Uh, they, and there's this big shipwreck that's suddenly appeared, and so you go to investigate this shipwreck, and the postman is missing too, but he keeps going yeah. into the ship. Uh, and so you're going to investigate, see what's happening. I think in playthrough um, A, you don't see the postman side as much. No, you but don't. in route B, you, you do. see him. You mm-hmm. see the interactions with the ship. That's where they do the, the recontextualization. Yeah. So in the in the A route, you're just kind of investigating the ship. You know, you're looking at this and that, and there's this girl that you see, and then you try to go find her, and then she's gone, and it's mm-hmm. very mysterious. This little girl on the ship. It's almost like a ghost. 
and you're looking around, looking around, and you, you find your way or you fall through the floor into like the, I don't know what you'd call it, the ship's hold maybe, like the bottom of it, Yeah. right? And <clears throat> it's, it smells terrible, and your light goes out, and you turn it on, and you find all these mutilated people. And mm-hmm. the man uh, that was the ferryman. Yeah, who had the red bag. Yep, and some other people are uh, among the pile of dead yeah. bodies. And it's like, oh gosh, like it should, it, it, it's a nice moment. It's, a, it's effective. In, it is, it is. And how horrifying it is, right? Because they were just laughing at how, how this guy, his arguments, and they were just like, oh my gosh. And they keep finding apples on the ship. Yep. And the arguments yep. he had with his wife <laughs> or whether he eats are all her so apples. funny. He <laughs> eats all of her apples. She, she goes and gets an apple and he eats it. And then she goes and gets 10 apples and he eats all 10 apples. <laughs> and Grimoire Vice is like, wow, that's kind of, no, no, I think it's near. He says, that's kind of impressive, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but um, they were laughing about him, and then they find him dead, and that yeah. that kind of you know that's an interesting way to recontextualize it. Yeah. So you find out that the postman has had some kind of bond he's, he's had with this little girl, and you know she can't speak because she's a shade, and so but she can sing but here's, in some weirdish this kind is, of way. This is the other thing too: is shades do understand what people say. But it's not the reverse. They cannot speak back. I think you're right. Because like anytime, uh, even when you're just like bosses and things like that, or, or, or any, like there are shades where you'll speak and like they understand you, but like they can't speak back. Anyways, Interesting. she can't speak back. I think that's true. Yeah. She can't go into the light, obviously, because she's a shade. And so she, he right. keeps trying to invite her to come home and be his daughter. And she won't she do it. She turns yeah. it down because she's like, I got to become a human first. Right? Yeah. And so she's mistaken into believing if I eat enough humans, I will become human myself. Mm. So this is where I believe we're seeing like a fairly advanced relapsed uh, shade. Where she is pretty far gone. Maybe not all the way gone yet, but close on the brink of that. And like unable to like have complex thinking unable to yeah. do like rational thinking really mm-hmm. but or empathy still keeping maybe not yeah still keeping yeah. some basic emotions right and like doesn't the need seem for companionship resentful and, yeah. against the the replicants yeah exactly and yeah. so anyways it's a, it's a misunderstanding um but due to the fact that she's relapsed uh, probably too far yeah. right so you find this out um, the postman shows up and he's like, oh, this girl, whatever. And then she like kind of turns into a, just a gigantic freaking And it's huge. because of Kaine because she's like, yeah. that Kine. girl's a shade. Yeah. She just outs her immediately. And, and that's then because, the girl's like, Because Tyran, Tyran is like, ah, like this is, this, this, you know, shade's crazy. I think I'm in love or something like that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's why Kaine realized it. And she had sensed it. Like the whole scenario. She didn't want to go in the boat. Yeah. Something really powerful. There's a yeah. powerful shade. And Tyrion's the one who's giving her these inclinations. Yeah. Um, so you end up fighting this thing. And in both the A and B routes, you can't actually kill it. There, there comes like a, the, the fight comes to a head where it's doing this very powerful buildup. And it's like, quickly. Like, take out the head before it does mm-hmm. the attack. And you can do as much damage as you want. You, you know, the little, like, countdown thing? Yes. Where you, like, you can do all the damage. If you do uh-huh. it in time, you break it, and then you do a cool move. You can get it all the way to the last one, and you can hit it a million times. But, but it just it, won't. On A and B, you cannot actually mm. kill the thing. Um, and so it does the attack. Everyone's like, oh, like, you know, um, 
dizzy and like on the brink of death and like, oh, we can't fight anymore. And that's when the postman with a stick, he comes shows out shows up and, and distracts her because he's, her, yeah. he's hitting her and she's like, oh no, but like, you know, I want to be with you right. and stuff. I'm and so she's like, you, why yeah. are you attacking me? And she's all confused. And, and that's when you have just one more moment to build one final attack to like yes, sever like right through, her head right through the head and yeah. kill it. Right. So, yeah. And it, it's all tragic, you know, like, oh, she just wanted to be this guy's daughter and to go look at the sea together. And she gets one shot where she looks out to the sea. And she and, says that it's beautiful. Yeah, so and dies. And then, right. And it's like, oh, isn't that tragic? And there was a piece of paper that uh, Oh, you, you don't found read that in until ending C or D. Or yeah, there's C. actually two versions of this. So anyways, Route B recontextualizes it by showing you the postman coming and visiting her a bunch of times while you're doing all the side quest yeah. investigation stuff. You know, it'll show a bunch of scenes of him coming up and talking to her and their, their bond being built. Mm-hmm. In the C route, or at the end of the B route, Kaine is holding a piece of paper that was written by the Louise. shade girl, yeah. Louise. And, and the postman was like up. teaching her how to write. Yeah. yeah. And, and she opens up and sees that for the first time, as far as they're aware, a shade communicated through words mm-hmm. by writing something down on a piece of paper. And she kind of tears it up and just like lets it float to the yeah, wind. She throws and it the up. idea is that she's just ignoring this and she's too dedicated to mm-hmm. killing shades. That's part, like you said, Tyrion, the fear that Tyrion will take over her if she right. becomes soft. Right. And the fact that she's already come so far, I don't want to think about it that much. Yeah. Kind of a similar situation when you're fighting P-33 and Khalil, the shade in the junk heap. Mm-hmm. And as you're fighting, Khalil will say things like, no, like, you're going to get hurt. Please stop fighting. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. let's get away. Like, don't keep going, my friend. And, and she's like, Kine, what? Somebody mentions, I think Nier says, hey, Kine, because Kine says something about, I think it was after the wolves or like, oh, they... I can't remember exactly what she says, but she says something on, in a way that, like, she kind of understood... It like suggests what they were trying to understands say. And, and yeah. Nier asks her and says, how do you know that? And she's like, eh, I'm just assuming or I'm just yeah. guessing. She doesn't want to let them know that she knows what they're saying. She knows what they're saying. Because what they're saying is... It's like, <laughs> it challenges me. their yeah. goal, right? Exactly. And she doesn't want to think about it that yeah. more. Uh, for all the reasons that you were <clears throat> earlier. So anyways, <clears throat> in the B route, she chooses to ignore this and throws it away. But in the C route, she gives the letter to the postman. And it's like an acknowledgement, oh, Louise wrote this. Like, it says thank you. Mm. And it's like this big breakthrough moment where like yeah. the first time a shade has been able to communicate with language to a person. And it's, again, meant to show you that this, there is a possibility that they could maybe coincide. Or, yeah, in some way. Um, but it's too late. You've gone too far. You've killed too many of them. Yeah. They're already too angry at you. They want revenge on you and I am legend situation. Exactly. So, okay. Um, also, Route C adds some scenes with Devil and Popola. Yes, yes. Um, where you see them in between when we're not present, right? Yeah. Yeah, and for the most part, it's them just like, the, the plan is progressing perfectly mm-hmm. until towards the end where they're like, I kind of I kind of like Nier. <laughs> like, yeah. do we really have to like yeah, it shows, do this whole thing? It shows a little bit of um, kind of the struggle they're going through, which is yeah. the Gestalt program 
is kind of proceeding and they're, they're kind of in charge of seeing it through, right? Right. And, the, you know, they're, this program where, where because the, the replicant bodies still age and die, but then they just kind of take the DNA, right, the, the data, and they just like replicate it again. Yes. <coughs> so they, Popler involved they in were that hoping process. that this particular replicant near would fail or like wouldn't make it all the way or something so that they wouldn't be forced to step in. Yeah. And that they could just, re, re, he could be reborn again and they could kind of like keep. Just prolong. Yeah. yeah, prolong it so they yeah. wouldn't have to. They, they wanted to wait a couple hundred more years, right, before yeah. they, were, they were forced to make the replicants and gestalts yeah. re, uh, re, uh, reunite. Anyways, you see some more of that behind-the-scenes stuff with them. Uh, one I, of the I think to some degree it's because they were developing sentience on their own. They're, they're just androids, but they were kind of developing like a, a soul, yeah. more or less, right? And they were wanting... At least a little bit to go against their Program. their programming, They're which is conflicted. Not something robot androids do, but it is something that you know people do. Yeah, so. and one of the interesting scenes that they added was where they have some concerns about well, if the Shadow Lord, for some reason, mm-hmm. um, goes against the plan, they were going to use this girl Louise, who's a very powerful shade, to like. Kill the shadow. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like they that was like a backup plan. It was like a plan B. Mm. They were going to use this girl Louise as a, a way to like stop the shadow lord if the shadow lord relapsed or went against you know the plan or something like that. So you know a couple scenes that sort of sort of show that extra dimension behind Devil mm. and Popola. So that's mostly what you get in Route C. Um, the only other scenario is the the last time you visit the Airy. But I don't think there's actually much that is different. Because you're already... There, there's two things. One, you hear Tyrion's voice. When, yeah, that... that when it yeah. kind of awakens and like the place is being nuked. But then yeah. the big new addition is more text, um, st- short stories about Emil and Halua, his twin sister. Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah. It goes into a lot more detail about you know, their time being uh, in that facility underground in the manor. There was like a woman who would take care of them. There was actually a whole side quest um, that sent you back into the manor a couple times. Oh, yeah. Um, where you l- picked up some of the research of this woman who was like a caretaker for mm. Emil and uh, Halua. And she, how sorry she was that yeah. like what happened to them happened and that she was complicit in it. Yeah. Um, when she felt like she, had, she was like a mother figure to them and had taken care of them and she felt so bad about it. So there's a really good side quest that nice. adds to this particular story. But this woman comes in and they're hiding and they're going to have to jump out and scare her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? And it's One of them um, sneezes and gives away yeah. their secret. And then uh, it goes into the moment where Halua um, kind of breaks out. She's been mer- turned into the ultimate weapon, number six, yeah. and is killing all these people. And, and they send Emil in to petrify her, to stop mm-hmm. her, right? And you know the, the the man leading Emil in is like abusing him, and don't you dare look at me! Like put because a blindfold falls off, and he's like yeah, he's like holding yeah. his face to the ground, and like don't you ever look at me! I told you never to look at me, and like puts the blindfold back on, like forcing him, you know, like he's like handcuffed or something. He's like forcing him in there to petrify his own sister, um, which he ends up doing. So like some good background there on Emil in that little short story. You get that in uh, Route B in the Airy. Um, but I don't think there's anything else much different in terms of this scenario that actually happens there hmm. um, in the area. 
Okay. No, then it's just Tyrion talking. He's the one who kind of wakes up kind of as the nuclear blast is going off. Right? Yeah, she's, he's like, whoa, he's sunshine. Like, hey, better get up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sunshine. By the way, he doesn't say, he says kaine in j- Japanese. Oh, really? He, he doesn't, doesn't, call he doesn't call her sunshine. I mean, the English text subtitles say sunshine, but he's just saying kaine. He's not, for some reason, and I'm okay with this because I love the way they localize this game. They they just they took a lot of liberties yeah. in the English and they put in the word sunshine, which I thought was great. Mm. So then it's just uh, going back through the lost shrine in the Shadow Lord's castle, and this time they they did it again. It's like you're you're it's like the first door that you can't get through, right? And like all of those like dancing ghosts turn into shades and you're fighting yes, them. Yeah. And then she finally gets it open and it's just like all those little ball shades that and sort of like roll in. And they're little babies. And they're little babies, right? <laughs> and so like there's there's a shade that comes in like, no, don't kill the children. Yeah. Please, they don't know any better. Sh- children, come to me. And then, <laughs> and then she's like, how dare you murder our children? And she yeah. turns into the boar. And then like yes, that's the boar yes. that's like attacking you, right? It's, it's like, like really hard oh, to kill. Oh gosh, again. With the freaking murdering a children thing, yes. I, I, if you, if that's supposed to make me feel bad, it just doesn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it doesn't, but it, <laughs> it, but it doesn't make you feel good. And I think at this point, that's what Yoko Taro is going for. At the um, very least, you don't feel good about it's it. It's just too easy. It's too easy. It is uh, an yeah. answer to try to like make someone feel bad about what they did. It's like tricked you. You killed babies. Like, come on, man. It's it's it's, it's too easy. Um. So didn't love that, um, but then you you hear all, all the Shadow Lords dialogue now. You get to see what he's saying. Oh like, yeah, in response. Yeah. Yep. And I thought that those were nice moments. Yeah, that was um, good actually. And then uh, let's talk about. Let's see. Let's see if I skipped any of my notes. Let me just check this real quick before we get into the actual ending. B ending. Oh, one thing that I noticed right because. In my A playthrough of the Gestalt version of the game, PS3 mm-hmm. version of the game, I didn't do any of the side quests in the second part. Oh, right, remember? yeah, I remember you I was told so me. mad at the villagers. Yes, you were so mad. I'm not helping you anymore. Yeah. Um, so I missed this, but I did all the cut of the all of the um, side quests this time, and there's a there's actually a pretty big difference between the way that Vice like participates in or his eagerness to mm-hmm. help people in the side quests in the second part of the game versus oh, really? the first part. As if he'd been doing it for yeah, a Yeah, it's years. like he's been a companion with Nier cool. for That's so cool. long that they've sort yeah, of yeah. acclimated to each other. And he's he's, he's not critical. so he's still arrogant. I mean, he's true. still a wise cracking guy. But he seems to have almost a sense of eagerness. Yeah. Like how what are we gonna do to help this person? <laughs> it's just a hint. Yeah. But it was a really nice performance That's true. That's by true. the voice actor and a really nice touch as as a as a writer. To, to show, th- it, it sells mm-hmm. the fact that they've been companions for a while now. Yeah. That they've been fighting <laughs> side by side, that they've gotten to know each other, that they've become a really good team, mm-hmm. a problem-solving team. And he's yeah. accepted, this is what this guy does, so I might as well be a part of it. Yeah. Instead of like constantly putting him down all the time. Like, why are you helping these people? What a colossal waste of time. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you're doing this again. Which is what Which he was is doing at first. What he was all saying <laughs> through part one. Yeah. And in part two, he doesn't do that quite as much. And <clears throat> it was, I thought it was really good. I, I really liked that. And it, it actually struck yeah. me even more because when you play Route B, C, and D, and you're going through the second part three or four times, mm-hmm. right? Then, because to, to unlock Route E, you have to start the game from the beginning again. Right. And I'm starting to listen to Vice this time, and it's like, 
wow, he's actually way rougher a personality than, I, than I've been experiencing for yeah. these last 20 hours of replaying the game three times <laughs> in the second act. Mm. So I thought that that was a really nice touch. I thought they did a really good job with that. So I want to make sure and get to that um, note. Oh, and then there's the DLC scenario. Um, the, the diary, like the mother's diary. I want to save that for next time okay. because there's, there's a lot there to examine that I haven't had time to really look at. Um, so this was DLC in the original PS3 version of the game. It was like oh, paid okay. DLC, but it's part of this game now where inside of the house, there's like a, 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 like a diary or a journal there that was written by the character's mother mm. um, or wife if you're playing Gestalt. And um, essentially you go in and like do a bunch of fights. It's, it's, it's kind of just like a, you just run and do a bunch of fighting, but like at the end of each section you get these little pieces of her like diary or whatever. And I want to examine those again and before like really talking about them. Okay. But what's interesting is that depending on the version you had, if you had the replicant version, it was Papa Nier that you played in this DLC. Mm-hmm. If you had the Gestalt version, it was Brother Near that you played in this DLC. So it flips it, no matter which version you have. So in this version of the game, Papa Near is actually in this game. Oh, really? During this DLC fighting nice. section. So we will dive into that more next time. I'm going to save that for later just because okay. we've already been going for quite a long time. There's a lot more to get through, and I, I need to re-examine some stuff there. Oh, and then... One thing that I found a little frustrating too is um, all of the side quests that you do in the previous playthrough, you can't do them again in the next playthrough. Mm. So this was particularly, um, I don't want to say frustrating, but it was just, it was like, ah, that's too bad, is the way that I felt. There's a side quest in the manor where there's a like a, a shade that's in the library. Yes. And, and he's just like, there's the shade down there the in the library. And it's like, well, he's not harming anybody. Like, he's not doing anything. He's not threatening anyone. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's down there. And so Nier's like, well, it's a shade. We got to kill it. Like, we can't just let it, we can't just mm-hmm. leave it there, right? So they go down there and kill it, but it never tries to fight you. Yes, it runs the away time. the whole time. Yeah. And you're sitting there like chopping at it and fighting, and it's just like running away. And he never tries to attack you. And it would, I did that in the A route. Hmm. I did that side quest in the A route. It would have been really nice so. if I could have redone that side quest in the B route. And because I, I, I assume if you did not do it in A route, you can still do it in B route. And then you would un, maybe there would be some dialogue with that shade that I have no idea. I think it's is Kaine with you. For yes, that? she's there. Yeah, okay. she goes into the manor with you. So there, if anybody has done that, if anybody has done a B route. Um, playthrough where you did that side quest, let me know what that shade says, if it says anything. I have a guess. I just want to read (laughs) books. Why are you killing me? I just want to read books. I really hope it's not that, but I have a suspicion that that's that's what it is. And if it is, uh, whatever. But, okay. What did I do wrong? Um, okay, we did that, we did that. Just going through my notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. Oh, there are a couple of added scenes that um, I think are actually new to this version of the game. 
So after um, you blow up at Devil on Popolop and they kick out Emil and Kaine from the town, right, yeah. um, in the A playthrough he goes, I should go apologize to Devil on Popolop. And he just goes and talks to them. But in the B route, he says, I should go apologize to Kaine and Emil. And he goes outside the town mm-hmm. and he sees them camping. And they're like there yes, by a fire. Yes, that is new. That is new. Yeah, they're there by a fire yeah. talking to each other. And um, this is where Kaine explains a little bit about her past to Emil. They're just kind of yeah. bonding and he asks and her And they don't about know that we're listening, right? So. Yeah, they're not aware we're there uh, or that Nier's there. And so um, this kind of goes back to my original thought. Now, again, this scene wasn't in the original version of Replicant, the PS3 mm. version of Replicant. It was added to this version of the game. So I understand that in that version, since the scene's not there, you know, it's a little different. But I just felt like I feel that would have been the time for Kaine to explain mm. the three short stories oh, to instead Emil. Of instead of it being 45 or to an hour-long text yeah. sequence, she could just tell Emil what happened to her. Mm. And like, explain Tyrion, explain her grandmother, explain the persecution, mm-hmm. explain the fact that she's not, you know, really, she, that she's intersex. Oh, right. You know, right. She could explain all of that to him in that campfire scene. And probably in a much more succinct way that wouldn't have taken so long. I just felt like, probably. and again, maybe my view on that is tainted by the fact that it was very late and I needed to wake up early the next day and I was like, how on earth is this this long? Come on. <laughs> but, and it's written well. I'm not saying it's, it's bad, written, it's very well but I think I would have preferred in this case. Like, I like it in the Forest of Myth section. Keep mm. Forest of Myth just the way it is with that all that That way you know text. what to expect. I know what it is, <laughs> yeah. but I would have preferred... Maybe like Kaine and Emil's backstories that are in text. Mm. It would have been nice if there was a moment where they could tell it or do a flashback or something like that. So that was just a thought I had while watching that scene. Um, but there's another new scene uh, as well. After you've collected all of the keys uh, to the Shadow Lord's castle, all of those five parts, and you're going back and, and Nier is talking to Vice and he's like, you know, I don't know if I can, um, I can really ask them to go with me. Right. Uh, to fight the Shadow Lord, like this is mm-hmm. this is my fight kind of a thing, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know about that. And then kind of is like, shut up, like, what are you talking about? This yeah. is so stupid. Well, and then uh, Emil says um, something like, hey, don't worry, we're going to ask you to do something for us yes. after this is all over. We're going like, to go. This on is a, a give take thing. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to go on a quest to, uh, you know, get rid of the. Shade that's possessing that's Kaine's body, mm. and we're going to restore my body, and we're going to keep going on mm-hmm. adventures forever. Yeah, I really yeah, liked yeah. that sentiment Emil, from Emil. so great. I just love him. <laughs> it was like, you know, this isn't yeah. the end. You know, we're going to help you, and then you're going to help us too, and we're going to stay friends, and we're going to travel the world and eat delicious food and, like, uh-huh. do all kinds of fun stuff, and it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Delicious yeah. food. That was part of it. Exactly. And they made a You know what? I just had this realization. I think Emil is the only character in the game that you, in your party, well... Yeah, that you control, sort of, more or less. Who yeah. feels bad for killing people. Yeah, he feels really bad about it. I don't it think Kaine ever does. I don't think Nier does because he's got his purpose. And that Grimoire Vice is just, I don't know. He's harder to tell what's going on with him necessarily. But I don't, I don't think any of them feel bad except Emil. Yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, there is another added scene in the Airy. It's at the very beginning, and it's just a black screen with text. But it's, it's some of the shade-possessed villagers mm. talking to each other about, oh, that young man's going to come. Like, mm. you know, the what Shadow are we going to do? Right? Yeah. Know, yeah, what are we going to do? Um, them sort of like deliberating with each other about like how they're going to handle this situation. Can we yeah. just stay in peace? Can we just live here in peace? And it's supposed to be like, oh, he's coming. Like, what do we do? So, 
<laughs> Again, uh, covered most of that. Um, okay, we got through that. We got through armored boar. Okay, so now we're up to the B ending. So the B ending is actually my favorite ending of the game. Um, I like it as almost, almost as like a bookend for the prologue and then an ending. We start with the, um, the human Yona and uh, mm -hmm. Nier characters right. in the post-apocalyptic world. We end with them as well. I, I feel like that bookend is like a really nice way of bringing it full circle. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we talked about maybe like the two major themes of Nier being one, uh, a matter of perspective kind of a thing, like how far... Um, how far are we willing to go when we believe we're right kind mm -hmm. of a deal, right? right. Which I, I think has been clear at this point, I feel like was not executed as well as it could have been. Of course. But yeah. the one that I felt like was really excellently done was the refusal to accept loss in your life. Like the insistence yeah. that I, I will not accept a loss. I will do anything, anything it takes mm. to bring back, to restore this thing to me, right? I feel like, yeah. in particular, with the Shadow Lord, this is really hammered home well, and that Yona's refusal to keep going with this, to mm -hmm. keep participating in it, mm -hmm. to harm the new sentience of the, the replicant, and the fact that she gives up, and, and that just all comes slamming because he was tried for so long. Thousands of like, years, yeah. I've been, did, I did this all for you, and then you just gave it up. Like, and he's so mm -hmm. pissed, <laughs> right? And so hurt and so devastated by that. That then the B ending focuses on them accepting this and moving on. Yeah. Like, I felt like for that particular string, that particular theme, this is a very satisfying conclusion where it kind of goes back and shows like a almost like a, a, a flashback of when she's like oh I have this cookie yes and, it shows and that he's like you eat it I'm not hungry that's what you said yesterday we're gonna except share except in the beginning she drops the cookie and then yeah but in this in one the they problem. both just yeah, they eat both the cookie eat. and then it goes and then it kind of goes into like a white you know like afterlifey type of like yeah heaven kind of thing yeah. and you know she sits down next to him and you mm -hmm. know, sharing, yeah. and 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 there's just this sense that it's okay, it's yeah. okay to let it go. Yes, but also a sense that like you, th th this game is so it takes on not doesn't take on it. Um, well, nihilism is such a big like yes. like clearly such a big like factor of the themes of this game, but. Think of how long the Shadow Lord lived in pain and suffering and hatred and resentment and he kept prolonging it for mm -hmm. as long as he could because he didn't want to die. And then as soon as he dies, it's like, oh, this, is, this isn't so bad. Yeah. Right? Like the, you, you forced yourself to go through the worst pain imaginable <laughs> and, and you, all you were doing was delaying this from happening, which is yeah. great. You get to be with Yona, things are fine. You're in a, what appears to be a better place. And you, all you have to show for it is like massive destruction well, and pain and hatred. And so often we kind of like create or hold on to our own burdens, right? Yeah. It's like we refuse to let this go. And it's like, no, because we're so afraid of what that will mean. But then we find on the other side of that, when you finally do let 
that go. It's like it's freeing. It's like it's it's like a weight off of your shoulders. It's yeah. like that can pass and you can move on to a new phase and that thing you were afraid of isn't as scary as you thought it was. That's almost always the case. Yeah. If you're afraid of something, I'm 99.9% of the time, it's not as bad as you think. This some of this actually goes back to what you were saying before about how, you know, different cultures perceive death. Yeah. Or perceived death with past tense or yeah. You know whether the shogun author got it completely wrong or whatever. <laughs> it's just there. There are different ways of looking at death, and you know one one of the critiques of, for instance, one of the critiques of how we live our lives now. It's like prolong your life as long as you possibly can, so that you guaranteed die of cancer, a slow, painful death of cancer, because it would be horrible for you to die a quick death any time earlier than when you die of cancer at ninety. Mm-hmm. That that's our current view, and it's in part because of the general understanding scientifically that we don't know what happens when you die, so don't don't die, avoid death at all costs. Yeah. And it turns into a society where you all, what you're doing when you live like this is you are guaranteeing that everyone suffers the most painful death that exists, in, in which is the slow, yeah. cancerous months and months of prolonged pain, and then they hook you onto medicine to keep you alive, and then you just feel this until finally you die, and then it's like, oh darn it, the person died, but everyone dies. And it's a weird, and no one, that's part of the human condition. We don't know how to deal with death. Um, but I feel like if we think that our current way of dealing with death is the best way to deal with it and that other cultures got it wrong and mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, there maybe, maybe there are other ways of looking at this, right? Yeah. Um, and this being an example, the Shadow Lord lived for 2,000 years or however long and he prolonged <laughs> in, to his own detriment, massive, massive cost, something that was just like not bad at all yeah. and that he's fine now and Golly, just should have done that sooner. <laughs> Two thousand years or fifteen hundred years sooner. Well, you know? like not even like the the burdens he put on himself, but all the suffering he caused other people. for other people exactly. And just you know, and and again, that's part of the reason why replicants and gestalt exist in the first place is because we don't know how to deal with death. We don't know how to do it, and this is what we did. This is our plan <laughs> that we came up with to avoid death at all costs, and it was a screwy plan that creates this weird system where. And it's just the nihilistic, you know, aspects of this game are are plentiful, plentiful, yeah. plentiful. And the the way to find meaning in yourself is is a different process than what it was for humans for the yeah. past two million years. Yeah. It's just different, and we don't quite know how to do it. But um, one of the ways that they explained it in Ending E with Kaine is she's like, I don't, I, I'll live for you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, and this this is all implicit in um, in. Uh, Nietzschean, you know, philosophy. philosophy. Yeah. But, you know, there is no God, there is no purpose, but at least I can make a purpose make with my you. Own purpose. Right? right? Problem, I've, there's, there's a small problem with that, which is <laughs> the fact that you are living for each other leads to this nihilistic spiral, which is the fear of death, which is I'm going to do anything at all costs to save Yona because I live for her and she lives for me. And if she dies, then I'm willing to literally destroy the whole world and all humanity to save her because she is the purpose. She is my purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It introduces a new problem <laughs> of living for someone else at the detriment of everyone else. Anyways, there, there's, but that is at least a way of 
it's just nihilism, and there is no easy way to get around it. There's probably it, other difficult. ways to find meaning uh, or to create your own meaning if you're from that nihilistic atheist point of view that yeah. don't involve centering it on another person. Right, that's, that, that's rough, yeah. yeah. But, but I don't know that humans are, are so good at the it's solitary... A, it's a struggle. But um, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Um, shoot, I just lost it. I had it and I just lost it. Well, I guess just in general, like, you know, of all the things that I've, I've drawn out as being like personal criticisms of some of the recontextualization of Mount B, mm. like a lot of it is made up for me because this particular message f- just feels really right. This, yeah. it, it's, it, I can't emphasize enough, <clears throat> I remember what I was going to say now, I can't emphasize enough how important it is in life to learn to accept loss. Right. Like, if you can't do that, your life is going to be a lot, lot harder than it needs to be. Mm. And you, there, there's a healthy way to grieve and to express how sad and awful a loss is, but then eventually comes an acceptance of that and a, an ability to move forward and to kind of let that burden go. It's mm. a very important thing to learn. And many, many people don't because they're too afraid of the thought. I can't let it go. It's too important to me. I can't do it. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't. And it just keeps you stuck. And I think in a lot of ways in our society, we also glorify, uh, especially like in the sports world, that never say die, that never give up attitude, that Rocky Balboa, like yeah. no matter how many times you knock me down, I'm getting back up and I will yes. triumph yes. and I will win yes. despite the odds. Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I'm going to climb this mountain and mm-hmm. impossible odds. There's no way you could win. And, and we, we sort of like glorify this idea of like the, the, the little guy over, you know, overcoming the impossible odds or never giving up, never ever mm-hmm. saying surrender, never say die. And I do think that, that I'm not saying that there's no value in that. I think mm. that there is value in being determined and in saying like, I'm not going to accept predetermined limits that other people put on me or that I put on myself because I have more potential. I can do greater than that. And there's a sort of growth that comes in life from, from learning to escape the mindset of limitation, sure. right? At the same time- I think that's important. At yeah. the same time, you will lose yes. a lot of things in life. And oh, you need gosh. to learn yeah how to accept it when it happens and to learn and grow from it just as much as you learn how to not give up too early or not Mm. to limit yourself and your potential, right? So I think both things are valuable, but I think that sometimes we can become obsessive or um, unwilling to let things go because we kind of have this culture where it's like, no, I'll never give up, I'll never give up, ever. Yeah, yeah. uh, I think that that can cause problems, and I feel like oh, absolutely that that particular thing, whether it was intended or not, was what struck me about this particular playthrough of Near in a way that was emotionally resonant enough to overcome a lot of the personal criticisms I have about the execution yeah. of the other themes recontextualization. Right. Um, though I might not have been thrilled with how that was done, though I might have felt that was too simplistic in how mm. it was presented, this was done in a really good way to me. And and that, I would say, is likely more important than this. This yes. one was kind of a political, or a, I don't know, like the, the general idea 
well, at least for it some could be seen as political commentary. Maybe. Well, I you know I'm I think I'm thinking of just mostly the facade rule zero thing. Yeah. That that's you know that being more you know can be easily inserted into the Iraq war politics whatever. Um, but that's clearly not the central like theme. I think. Well, I, I think it could be, but yeah. Because like the route B is like so centered on like essentially showing you the same events, but like making you see I, that's the a other good point. perspective. That's a good right? point. Actually, that's. A good I think point. that yeah. it could be yeah. its intended main theme. Um, and again, I love the concept of it. I think as an idea for a game uh, to structure a game in that way and to mm. show you the scene. I think maybe even like near Automata does the same idea, but maybe a little better. Yeah. Right. It recontextualizes it in a in a little bit of a better way mm-hmm. than the replicant does, mm. um, in its particular you know context. But it's okay to me because this particular theme worked so well for me that it it made it all come together in a way that was super satisfying in the in the B ending. I really like the B ending. Um, yeah. Now. When we get into the C and D endings and when things get wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Route C, you play through it again. Not a lot different mm-hmm. except for some of those added scenes with Devil, Devil and Popola. Popola. Yeah, that's about it. You get back to the ending and this time Kaine, as she's walking away, you know, I'm going to go do my thing and congratulations, you got your sister back. Tyrion sort of starts taking over. Oh, we didn't mention the fact that Tyrion and Kaine have quite a lot of dialogue between e- each other during the, the ascent of the Shadow Lord's castle, though. So, yeah. like, he'll say, ah, you know, he keeps doing his thing, like, yeah, you just, you just hate, and there's all, you're filled with rage, mm-hmm. and yeah, you're just like me, you just want to kill. But, but like, and less so as they keep going. He's like, I'm starting to sense something else. Yeah, he's, something's different about your heart. Yeah, he's like, right? so she's like, well, ah, who, who am I to know? What do I know? And yeah. she's just fighting. She's trying to avoid that. And this, this is a really great, uh, the, another reason why I really love Route B, outside of the stuff I criticized, is Kaine's character arc is pretty good. Yeah, oh like, yeah. absolutely. When you get the whole context for her childhood and life and this possession and everything like that, um, it, it's a little—it's a little simplistic still. Like because there, there's one there's one piece of dialogue in particular that comes across as being a little too simple, which is um, he—he's saying something along those lines, you know, and she's like, uh, you know, everyone hates you, like. You're, you know, like mm. nobody likes you. You're, you're this and that and this and that, and you're just, you know, playing this off because you're lonely. And and he's like, no, I'm not like that at all, right? Like he's denying it. And then mm. she's like, it's okay. I'm the same way. Or she says, she just says, it's okay first. Mm. And he goes, it is. <laughs> and that was the part to me uh, that came funny. across as a little corny. I'm not like that at all. It's okay. It is. Because it's like she, after all this time living with him, having these back and forth conversations, she's able to just get through in this moment. Like all of a sudden he's going to like tear down that wall and like consider (laughs) her point of view. So it's a little bit corny to me. But she's like, yeah, it's okay because I'm just the same way. Mm -hmm. And and they start to kind of, Tyrion and and Kaine start to kind of have an understanding um, and, and like this change in her heart is also changing him a little bit. So what happens is, is that you, you get all the way up and you kill the Shadow Lord and then 
um, she, Tyrion like takes over her body and it's played off as the reason that he's doing this is because he's trying to free her of this pain that she's in and this possession mm-hmm. and this awful life that she's had. And, and he presents you with a choice because you fight her. And then the, the choice is, okay, like there's two ways that you can like restore or kind of or whatever. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, or yeah. that you can save her. One is to kill her. Yeah. He, well, he doesn't even say kill her. He says, take your sword and stab her in the heart. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. And, and then it becomes, at first I'm like, no, you're Keyblade, right? You're unlocking. And you'll, it'll do a thing. It's like, no. I, I didn't realize, you know, this isn't, yeah, this isn't Kingdom Hearts. He, he is talking about literally killing her. She wants to die. I mean, you yes. go all the way back to Act 1 with the hook battle. She's wanted to, she accomplished that and she just wanted to die. She, yes. Her life has been so hard. She has so much pain and trauma in her heart that she didn't, she had nothing to live for. And, and she, no one accepts her. And the only meaning that she finds in life mm. is... It goes back to that scene I was talking about last time where she's reawakened from the petrification. Oh, and she's yes. baffled. Yeah. Baffled yeah. that someone five cared enough later, yeah. five years later to come mm. back and save her. And that's why she talks mm. about being so dedicated to him during that fight. I promised I would be his sword. Yes, that's you know, right. That's right. Yeah. I would take up I would be his sword one last time or something like that. She's really dedicated to him because she found value for the first time in her life in this companionship with Emil and Nir. And, mm-hmm. like, that gave her life some meaning. Emil's dead now, as far as they know. Right. And uh, Nier is going to go off with Yona now, and it's not going to be the same. And yeah. so who else is going to accept me in this world? Nobody else will accept me. She feels like there's no more purpose in her life. And so I think yeah. the idea is to free her from that existence, that right. pain and trauma by killing her, right? And she'll no longer have to be possessed by this shade and she can be freed or you sacrifice your own existence i mean not just die but become the memories everything's gone from all existence completely right and somehow that's going to restore her back to a normal human again yeah okay i don't know how that works but okay that's my point (laughs) (laughs) is that this feels like another arbitrary rule that has no setup. It does, but the result of it is interesting. I agree. Okay, okay, we'll get there. I agree, but it, it, it's kind of the same way I felt about the Emil sacrifice. Because I yeah. don't, because the choice or the circumstance kind of feels like it wasn't set up earlier. Okay, right. It feels arbitrary, kind of yeah. like the AI scenario. We can bring yeah, your yeah. mother back for one just day, for yeah. one day, just so we can have a sad ending. Yeah. There's no reason (laughs) other than that. It's arbitrary. Okay. The choice here feels very arbitrary in that sense because there's no setup to why sacrificing your entire existence and your memory Mm -hmm. being wiped from the earth is somehow going to bring this person back to life. And then how Tyrion knows that. I don't get it. That would be the weirdest part. Or even has the power to do it. There could be a way. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. There could be a way that this um, could be done with through Devil or Popola or something else, the way that they can manipulate replicants because they kind of design them and whatever. Okay, yeah, sure. But I don't understand how Tyrion knows this and how... We don't know who he is, though. Yeah. But um, how he knows the process, he knows how it works, he knows what would happen, right? Yes. Or but, that it requires the sacrifice and this of another is where replicant's Yoko, memories. This is where Yoko Taro is like, not important, important, right? Because... <laughs> sure, yes. Um, 
because it does give you um, some... Oh, the, uh, I think this is expanded upon a little bit more in root E, mm -hmm. I think. It gives you some sense of like... Once again, this is just a life or death thing, I, I suppose. But you um, sacrificing yourself seems to be the more noble thing to do, right? So you're gone, and then Kaine's around. Um, but... So if you if you kill her, then you're essentially the right thing to do is to kill her, even though it's never right to kill anybody. <laughs> it's right because, <laughs> like I said, the meaning she found in her life was in the companionship. Well, exactly. If you bring her back to life, and, and Mir and gone, Emil are both gone, then she has no purpose in life. Then anymore. she's back to her horrible life, and so yes. you so it's you've negated. So this would be the first time where Yoko Tara would be telling you. It's, he, it's basically just to subvert your expectations, but would be saying, hey, actually the right thing to do was to kill somebody right at the end yeah. there. And you did the wrong thing. Um, but you don't find out much about how everything goes later on until ending E, where I think the idea is ending E follows D, which is where you kill her, right? And that's where she is like going through life without you yes and it's like she still has a hard life like everything yes. just still kind of sucks and she doesn't really like any of it um could she just like maybe kill herself i mean i don't know how replicants work i don't know how this the whole thing I, happens. i'm sure you could well then she yeah okay so she she could take this on her you it, you, you didn't need to be the one to do this <laughs> she could do this on her own um, well except that she's but it's very sad. possessed and relapsed and like uh, like a boss monster that you're fighting, right? That is true. So I guess you couldn't do that. She's for like her lost at the time. control. So it's like you and have to choose to kill her or restore her. So if you her just to did nothing, then Tyrion would take over and she'd just go I guess. start killing and be a rampage monster. Yeah, I suppose. Um, okay, so then I guess it has to be you. Man, you'll go Tato. <laughs> so you have to kill her or let yourself be killed. But I guess the idea being letting her live isn't as kind as it seems. Because yes. as you mentioned, that is. Her purpose is you. Otherwise, she would have died long time ago. Um, and so, if you let her live, but take away the purpose for her living, and you don't then even explain she, why, and you don't know, then yeah. she just has even less purpose. And as they mention it, she's like she she she's walking around in a fog all the time, like she's forgetting something, mm -hmm. and and that's just kind of her life. It's not like fun. She's still, as far as I can remember, she's still living outside of the village. The village people still don't like her. She doesn't go in there. Um, and yeah, all that stuff. Exactly. Nothing really changed. So that is that is good. Um, whereas if you um, if you kill her, it just sucks, I guess. <laughs> but you can live with Yona and go lay, well, lay and down I, on the I, grass. It's hard somewhere. for me to believe that Nier would make that sacrifice. Like he he's been hell bent the whole time to rescue Yona and to get I Yona think back. that's a good point. It's hard for me to buy that he would even for Kaine sacrifice himself. Yeah. When his whole goal was... So it's hard for me to yeah. believe that ending D is the choice that the character would make. However, sure. however, I really like what they do with ending exactly, D. Exactly, because then it makes you think that it's that's... a path. You're right. Um, but anyways, ending C is you kill uh, Kaine. Yeah. And uh, essentially, like, Yona and Nier are reunited. But the irony of all of this is 
you haven't actually saved the world by killing the Shadow Lord. You've doomed it. Yes. And um, all, and she's going to continue to have the Black Scroll because her replic, her Gestalt is relapsed right. or gone, and so she's going to get the Black Scroll. You're going to get the Black Scroll. Every replicant in the world is going to get the Black Scroll. Yeah. And slowly over time, as all of these Gestalts relapse, like everyone's doomed to f- die. Everyone now. will die. You have brought that about. You've you've guaranteed that the end of the world. Yes. So it's not really a very happy ending. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> and and that's kind of just the way it is, but the only happy endings that you can find in here are the ones where they've like left. They let go. Yeah, left. That's why I like B. the world or died and went to heaven. Like <laughs> that's why I like Route B <laughs> because this Earth is like horrible. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so okay, but ending D. He er, he he chooses to erase himself to. G- Restore Kaine to a regular human form, I guess. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and so it, it erases. She's the one that killed the Shadow Lord. Well, the game erases all your data. So yes, all your save does. files yeah. get erased. It's a very like yeah, yeah. long, arduous thing where it goes through all of your quests and all of your weapons, weapons and all of yeah. your items and all of the, your maps and everything gets erased. It's all gone. And when you try to start a new game, you can't even yes, rename your you character have to do the a same new, name. A different name. You have yeah. to do a different name. You have to enter yeah. a different name. It says for some reason that name won't work. Yep. <laughs> so it's Don't like you can never that particular character, whatever you named that character, cannot exist ever again. Yeah. Is the idea, and that was the finality of the original PS3 version. That was how it ended for good. That was yeah. it. It was over at that point. But. There is a new piece of content, this ending E. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but in, in the Grimoire Near companion book, I think I did mention this, right? There's short stories that yeah, we were mentioned this, adapted yeah. into... And ending E is one of them. Ending E is one of them, but it's expanded. Yes, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yeah. To, to tie it And into, it includes Autumn, Automata. Yeah, to tie yeah. it into Near Automata. Yeah. Because obviously... When the original book was released, even Drakengard 3 wasn't out yet. Yeah, exactly. So, like, a lot of the references to Nier Automata were not in that short story in Grimoire and Nier. Mm. So it's been expanded a bit. But the point is, you play basically the first two-ish hours of the beginning of the game again. Yes. Until you come back around to the Aerie for the second time and you fight Hook. And she's, like, in that part where she's ready to give up. And Nier reaches down to, like, bring her back. Like, yes. no, don't give up. And they... Clasp hands and then... But near disappears or something. Because keeps that going. whole replay of those first two hours are framed as a dream yeah. of Kaine's. She wakes up. She remembers this person. And this is after the D ending, right? Mm-hmm. Technically. She remembers this person, but she can't put her finger on it. But she's having yeah. dreams about it. And you know how dreams are. Sometimes you wake up and it's very vivid at first, but then you quickly like forget mm-hmm. the details. Yeah. It's like, oh, what was it? What was it? What was it? Oh, gosh, I forgot. That's kind of like the sense that I got is she's she's having this nagging feeling that there's somebody important that mm-hmm. she can't remember. And she can't quite put her finger on it, but it's making her so sad to think about it. And Yona even writes in, you know, the little notes in between the loading screens that she's having, she's waking up feeling sad yes, too. she is too, yeah. And she's like, I don't know why. Because yeah. she doesn't remember. Nobody remembers this guy, right? And so she's like, fine. She wakes up. I guess I'll go out and kill stuff. You know, like, what other? Well, I guess what else can I do? You go out and killing, and you find out that what's called Yona's village now, instead of Nier's village, uh, is sending out somebody to go to the forest of myth because like yeah. something is happening over Something's there. Something's up, yeah. 
but shades are multiplying. They're relapsing even harder. The world's yeah. in an even worse state than it was before the Shadow Lord was killed. Right. It's like things are getting even worse. <laughs> Nothing is better after having done what they did. Um, and so she's like, oh, you, you can't do that. You know, you're not strong enough. I'll go you, for you. You wouldn't take 10 steps before she'd yeah. killed you. Yeah. So she's like, I'll go and check out what's happening in the Forest of Myth. So she goes in there and a massacre. All the villagers are dead. Yeah, all of them, yeah. I thought it was really effective. Like there's tons of them just laying in like puddles of blood. Yeah, yeah. And like these robots are coming out of the tree and like attacking people. She's like, what's going on here? And, and the, the mayor mentions right before he dies, um, you know, they came out of the tree and they just like slaughtered us and he yep. dies. So you actually go into the tree and the, the, it's like the final dungeon of the game, I guess you could call it. And of, it's, it's something that makes a lot of sense. If you're going to recover the memory of someone who has been lost, where would you go to find that? The tree that, har- that keeps all the memories, memories in the memories. forest of myth, right, which yeah. was set up you know, earlier in the mm-hmm. game. So very logical sort right. of conclusion to resolve, where it is, yeah. to resolve this problem of having lost the memory of Nier. Mm-hmm. So she goes inside of it, and she encounters these two androids who resemble... Very much 9S yeah. and 2B In from near Automata. They seem a little younger, though. I think the idea is that these were like the precursors to mm-hmm. those particular androids, right? Yeah. Like So that this is um, person 2 and person 9. What are the words? Project? Not project. What is um, what is Emil? He's something 5 and 6. Oh, was they his just sister. call them number 6 and number okay, 7. Okay, number. Yeah. So number 2 and number 9, these were the originals, whereas 2B is like yeah. a, a, Might be, a, a, a re- replicated version or a, a later a later what, you know like iteration. an updated an, yeah. an updated version of yeah. it and then many many thousands 9S. of years from now yeah. right? but these were like yeah. the programs or the androids that were the basis for those models later yeah. i thought that these were the twins from Drakengard when i mm. first saw them there's the twin a uh, girl in Drakengard has a similar-ish kind of haircut and looks looks kind of similar, yeah. and um, I thought that's where they were going with it. But yeah. it was. But a these different. these two particular um, in the in the novel version, from what I've heard, they they don't have the two. It's just one watcher. Yes. Right. So this yes. is obviously done to connect it to Automata. Yeah. So it's been altered a little bit from the short story, but um, these are watchers who were part. All the androids were responsible for seeing Project Gestalt through. Yeah. So now they don't have a purpose anymore because Nier and the party killed the Shadow Lord, who was like a, a key, like a linchpin in Project Gestalt working. He was the original Gestalt. And mm. apparently the meso or the maso that he mm. like generated was used to like slow down the relapsing process in the other Gestalts. Oh, really? So there was like... There's like a um, there's like an error in preserving these gestalts and keeping them from that that causes them to relapse, but apparently the like the, the again the 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 magical particle that came from Drakengard's mm-hmm. universe is being emitted by the Shadow Lord and that's being used to like stall or slow down this relapsing process oh, yeah. so that they can wait out the white chlorination syndrome and then complete the reuniting of the souls and the bodies. But when they killed the Shadow Lord, it's like, now that's not possible anymore. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, the original Gestalt is dead, 
and that means no more maso is being produced, no more meso is being mm. produced, and we can't keep them from relapsing, and now it's, again, just doomed. Well, by the word, by the way, uh, ma, maho is magic in Japanese. Oh, yeah. So that's why mako is magic, yeah, something in, in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. And then um, maso. maso would, I, I believe, it would be kind of a connection there. Makes maso. sense. So anyways, they basically tell you a lot of this stuff in cryptic language, right? It's not like ever stated outright, but it's like they're essentially revealing to you like Project Gestalt is like doomed now. Yeah, and, and it's like your fault. The and it's your fault and the androids, you know, um, are struggling with purpose at this point. Like what are mm. we supposed to do now, right? And that's where Automata comes in. Like... The, the, the nihilism of automata is mm-hmm. the, the androids have been robbed of purpose, so they have to create their own purpose. <laughs> so they sort of perpetuate going. this yeah. cycle of what they are doing, even yeah. though the thing that they're trying to save has been dead for 10,000 years. Yeah. So like, that's kind of like how the, the Nietzschean philosophy plays into automata. But hmm. here, it's like they're at the point of beginning to cope with the purposelessness of their existence okay, now. Yeah. And so they're angry and resentful at Kaine. And uh, anyways, as you're going through there, you find these memory cores and you're like fighting them and they represent themselves as memories of Kaine's, mem- uh, Kaine's memories, right? Because everybody's memories are stored in this tree. Yeah, the they replicants have. Replicants' memories. And, yeah, exactly, yeah. And that was what we learned when we came here for like you know, the first and second time. It's mm-hmm. like re- replicant memories. Somehow they have little tree. receptacles that are like recording everything and it turns into data and they like have all of this stuff like everywhere yeah. for everyone. Yep. And it's also true, yeah. So the interior of this is this big supercomputer with all these memory cores. So she's reliving a lot of her memories and that manifests in bosses, like fighting yeah, bosses. Yeah, you're fighting again, all the bosses again. And kind of like... It's an interesting way to do that. Yeah, and, and as, these, as these androids sort of like, you know, not mock, but like talk down to you about it the whole time, mm-hmm. right? And then in the end, it's like you recover the memory of, of Nier. Yeah, but they process. said it was the most painful. No, no, the most painful was the the monster that killed your grandma, right? Yes. And you couldn't beat it, but they so, were like reveling in making you relive these painful yes, memories. Yes, they're like torturing they wanted, her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then Vice comes. And then back we to kind help. of die. And Vice, do you know where? Like, where <laughs> it, well, it's a memory, he came right? From? Um, okay. It's like the memory of Vice. Sure, sure. In the memory core, not maybe even like the real book. That's the right. way I felt it was. Hey, that works. Right? So it's like, anyways, because she's fighting memories. Like, it's not the real hook. Mm-hmm. It's not the real boss fighting yeah. again. It's just she, they're making, him, making her relive it in this um, digitalized world. Yeah. Right? And while you're fighting him, these, these little fake townspeople are, like, mocking you the whole time. They're kind yeah. of, like, standing around making fun of you. And eventually you get hurt so bad you can't move anymore. And so you just you can't win this fight. Yes, and then you have another short story, which is yeah. um, a fake scenario where it's like she is has awakened back in the area again, mm-hmm. and like the town has been restored, and the villagers are there, and, oh, and her yeah. grandma's alive again, yeah. and she goes into the the guy's shop who does the medicine, right, who, with mm-hmm. the crayons and stuff, and it, things are just aren't quite right. 
Like yeah. he's talking about how great but her portrait was. Yeah, yeah. Like how it was like a masterpiece, like yes. uh, drawing that she did of her grandmother. And she's like, she's desperate to accept that this is real, but there's little details about it that are wrong. And then in a really horrific way, it all starts falling apart. I mean, mm. like literally falling apart. Like people's bodies start like disappearing. Almost like like, what, like a person's like eye syndrome. Yeah, right? a person's eye socket. Yeah, and like the eye falls out. It just out. like disappears. <laughs> and like everything. But it falling turns apart. to ash. It like disintegrates. Yes, kind yes. Of. Yeah. White chlorination, yeah. I think, is the tie there. And so she's running to find her grandma before she dies, and she gets there, and then just turns into ash, and everything erases and and falls away. And, and the words. Well, this is all in her memories, but still, the the word. Well, the memories are being put into her, I suppose. But um, the last words that her grandma says is is thank you. My thinking is that this was like. Anyways, those are also the words that Louise wrote when she wrote her little message. Right. That was like all that she really. Yes. Could do to say. I didn't know if there was a connection there because at the time I didn't know if she was seeing actual people or not. If these were, these are the. Um, gestalts of these people that she's seeing, and they're how because of what she did, they're all disappearing forever now. That's probably what the um, what uh, number two and number nine were trying to get her to think of, right? Like your replicants yeah. can't ever be around anymore because you got rid of the the gestalts are going to die, and this is your fault. Yep. So it's vice coming back that sort of awakens her out of that nightmare yeah and with with the magic powers restored you know she's using um oh his yeah, like his spells powers and, his spells yeah, yeah. you can actually reach the hook when it goes up to the top right exactly there, and you can actually fight it and kill it and he has yeah, i think there's a new finishing blow there too that was like pretty yeah pretty cool <laughs> well and all of the fighting mechanics for kine are actually really awesome yeah like, she has great. her she's own great. move set like yeah. her own special abilities um, and just f- is really tight controls, really yeah, nice. Yeah, she's fast. It's, um, yeah. Oh, it, it, I guess I skipped over the part where she fought like a million versions of herself, right? Oh, it's yeah. It's like one yeah. of the tests. Because they uh, could replicate her over and over and over from yeah, nothing. Yeah, so like she's Each fighting Each of her has of one red eye, though, <coughs> which is, um, I guess, a another tie cult to of the Watchers. The tie Legion in. thing. Yeah, yeah. Tie into that, right? Um, which is present in Drakengard. Yes. Two or three, I think and three. I will get into more of the lore of the red eye guy probably in the final episode. Yeah, maybe later. But that's kind but, of what they were. There's a yeah, connection. Yeah, but Emil shows up. Yeah, yeah. Because because oh, I forgot to say in ending B, a, a, a tag at the very end of ending B is his head. That was so great. Comes by the way. flying. I out. loved that. So he didn't actually die <laughs> in the scene did not. where he got reduced into the yes. black hole. He didn't die. Like his sister's body is too powerful to die, yeah. and so like just yeah. his head. Like flies out and into the he desert. He's so funny about it. He is the best <laughs> character, man. I tell you. Yeah, and, and so he's just rolling along. He and rolls he's along. just talking like, oh man, I wonder, I wonder what what uh, Kaine and Nier are doing now, man. Those two, I tell you, they start fighting, yeah. or is it Grimoire? Anyway, sort of that and he, optimism. He's just being so just like cute. <laughs> yeah, he's so he's great. I just love him. And so he obviously goes and finds a way to restore yes. his body back. But now he has he like has four, four arms, arms now. And she's like, wait a minute, what happened? How did the, and he's, he's like, like, eh, it'd be too long to explain. <laughs> <laughs> so they just kind of skip Classic. over that. Um, then maybe there's an explanation in the, uh, in the short story in the, oh, maybe. In, in the Grimoire Near, which, again, I will read for next time. But anyways, he's and her are fighting through together. So I kind of skimmed over that part. That's so right. they're together. Vice comes back. 
and they 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 kind of fight through. They restore. They find the memory core. You know core. what though? When you get to the memory core, Emil isn't still there. He, he separates for a bit. Yeah. He goes somewhere. So else. you are on your own for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you 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 find the memory core where the memory of Nier is stored, and you restore the memory. And there's a, a big um, giant lunar <sighs> cry or lunar, lunar tear lunar flower. <laughs> that like blooms in the forest of myth, probably in the yeah. place where the tree used to be. And Kaine is there holding a, a restored, um, younger, like the younger version of the yeah. boy near. near yeah. um, I'm guessing maybe that in, it, it's in that forest of myth tree that maybe that's where the replicants are made. Right, I would think so. Yeah, because that's so, where the data is stored, and so yeah. if they need to make a new replicant, that's how they would do it. So all of his data is stored there. They found it, and yeah. they like made a. It's like Remade a reborn it. version of him. Yeah. Right. And so she's there holding it, and like you said, the kind of like the nihilistic view, like it was all meaningless in the end. Everything that we did, right? We right. essentially doomed the world. Mm. We ended it instead of saving it. Um, everything that we did was meaningless, but we found meaning in. In each, each other. other. And that's kind and of how purpose. they... And, and for her, that was so key because, like, nobody had accepted her. Right. No one had cared, except for her grandmother. And when her grandmother passed, there was just no point in life other than to get revenge on the monster that killed her. But now she has found that acceptance in her mm-hmm. friends, Emil and, and Nier. And so she... Whereas in the other endings, she was going to kind of walk away from that because he's like, oh, you can come stay with us. And she's like, no, I got my own stuff to take care of. Yeah. Now she's sort of decided like she's going to be with her you know, friends no matter what. And so like she's found purpose again in her life. And she undoes the mistake that Nier made in sacrificing himself, which took all of her purpose away. Yes. And she brings him back to restore purpose. And Emil is back and they're all together. It's as close to a happy ending as you're going to get from a Yoko Taro game. Yes. Where they destroyed the world, the world is doomed, but at least in the time that we have left before we're killed by the Black Squall, we'll be together. Yeah. And, you know, we can have purpose. Make life. the most of it. So also, it uh, when Nier comes back to life, it restores your old save file. Yes. And you have to input the name because it didn't let you name it that again. You know. I know there is one person <laughs> in the world who typed who random keys. Oh my gosh! Just to for like a screw. name, yeah, and it was had no way of yep. inputting that again. Yeah, that's entirely possible. <laughs> it got stuck. That's possible, and it's probably some young kid. I guarantee you, a lot of people are like, couldn't could never couldn't finish, finish the game because they yeah. Uh, I know that's, somebody that's did funny. that. That's funny. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, but then all of your save data comes back as it was deleted slowly. It comes back very slowly again. Everything kind of comes back. Um, but because it's your D save file that it re... Yes. What's the word? It re Restores it. It restores your D save file uh, because that's the U that um, she is restoring, I guess. That's yeah. just the version of U because I swear, Yoko does such a good job with like subtext and with like yeah. the theme of like like replicant replicating people over and over and your different save files and they're like different people in some ways, you know. Um, but it's the D version of you. And so, but the D version of you doesn't have Kaine alive in that timeline. Now, mm-hmm. the E ending, continue, you know, goes, you're both together, right? That is the E ending. But it throws you back, you have the ability to go back to your D ending now and there's a new weapon you can get that is um, Kaine's sword, yes. technically, and you mm-hmm. go get it and I, um, I guess you don't 
it's not so forwardly pointed out to you, but she says that she will be your sword, right? Yes. And so she literally, in the D ending, she's gone, but you have her sword, and she is. Is she gone? Sort I thought of she's still with there. You. In the D ending. Well, okay, okay. So oh no, 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 no! You're right, you're right. Because you can, you can do this. So it restores it your restores D stuff. You before you're the, right. She before is going still into there. the castle for the Shadow Lord. She is still yeah. there. So then it goes back to that point. Um, but it's got like different levels. You can level. Um, there's like four levels to it, and there's. Um, it basically goes through her process. Basically, like level one kind of is like you know like um, abrasive, and level two kind of. <laughs> Is more dignified. Level three kind A is the dream kind of, and level four kind A, the blade is like the transcendent, you know, uh, kind A that is like so great or whatever. And that's how you like level up the sword or whatever. But um, anyway, so I, th- I found that I found that fascinating. But you're right, she is there because it's before it's before, before you, you make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's right. So let's see. I think we've more or less more or less covered everything. We'd have uh, aside from. But the there's still some philosophical stuff, stuff. Yeah, to go through. Um, there's just good. a few things, and this may not take any time at all. <coughs> um, so, oh yeah, the Gretel says we are incomplete, but our friends... We are incomplete, but our friends make, make us, us whole. whole. I'm trying to do my Sora voice. It's, pretty, uh, it's harder yeah. to do. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, and so um, I don't even want to call the Shades enemies anymore. I'm like, I'll just call them antagonists. I don't really know. Um... So here is, oh, the language of facade. This is just an interesting like tidbit here. The mm. language of facade sounds like Japanese when you hear it. Yeah. It sounds like a weird, screwy didn't, version of Japanese. Didn't they take a sentence with katakana or whatever, and then they just... Mum- yeah, the kana, and then they just... Them? Yeah, they just did it. So and they're saying They kind Japanese of did it randomly words. a little bit. Sometimes they're saying accidental Japanese words. They rearrange the characters, not the the whole word. Word, okay. They re- so you'll get jumbled up messes, uh, but you sometimes, because of the way Japanese works, it's a syllabary, not an alphabet, so a word may only have two um, syllables in it, right? Like mono. Well, you you can only combine that one way, which is nomo, which is not a word as far as I know. But sometimes the combination of um, of the sentences led to a- actual Japanese words being spoken, uh, okay. but that are irrelevant and completely different from yeah. the actual, like what the meaning of the sentence was supposed to be. Sure. Yeah. So it's complete gibberish, but it did it sounded like an off weird version of Japanese, and I was wondering if they did like with the music, if they did some fast forward. Make j- what will Japanese sound like in a thousand years, kind of thing. Uh, but it appears that that is not the case. That all, they just scrambled the letters. All and that I was know it. is, Kaizo is Kaizo. king in that whatever that language. Oh, is. nice! Anytime they refer to the king of Fasan, it's Kaizo. Kaizo, nice. So that I know one. You know word, some f- 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 I know one word words. in the Fasadian Good language. Good job, <laughs> <laughs> Kaizo. Um, and it sounds very Japanese. That word sounds. Incredibly Japanese. It does actually. Well, Kaizo Kaizo probably is a word. I'm just, I can't think right now of what it means. Um, Route E, the twins claim that a singularity signature is detected in Kaine. Now, I keep bringing this Mm. up. I keep bringing up the idea of sentience because this is the most fascinating part of the game to me is the fact that these replicants become sentient on their own. They They develop a soul where a soul did not previously exist and was not programmed into them. But through some weird course of general something events, they develop this longing, this this being, this like 
personality that's different and unique from what they were created to be, right? They kind of go off on their own, and that's why the shades get resentful and don't like it. And that's why Yona couldn't stay in the body, because she's like, this replicant has its own thoughts. And that, I keep bringing this up with Popola and Devola, how they like don't want to, they're trying to resist their programming to the extent that they can, but they have developed some separate thing that was not programmed into them that has come about in some weird way, you yeah. know? And they are different people from what they were programmed to be. Um, I find that very fascinating. So the androids, the replicants, and Yoko Taro is t- toying with the idea of, well, when I see singularity, I'm thinking um, like AI. What, what do they call it when AI, AI becomes sentient? Is that? Oh, yeah, there is a, is right. It, it's, it's not singularity? Is it called that? What's the word it's in like Terminator? When, when the AI in Terminator, like they call it um, when an AI becomes self-aware. Self-aware. What is that fetching called? I know what you're talking about. Scroll down. What's singularity the word? point? Sing. Okay, so it is singularity. Yeah, it's in a general. singularity point. Okay, so and they bring up um, the twins claim that a singularity signature is detected in Kanye. I think that they're saying, "Wow, this is fascinating," and they're actually like fascinated by it. Um, I, I think what they're referring to is that she has become her, 100% completely become her own person, independent completely of what we made and of what the um, gestalt is or was. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't know if there's a different thing going on there, but that's what I kind of got from it because I think that theme is just fascinating. Um, and I wanted to talk about something interesting, but I think I'm going to hold this off until next week. Okay. And it's about Emile's character, and I go into some archetypal, um, something very interesting to discuss that will be fascinating. But we're we're okay. not we'll probably just leave that now. Okay. Um, yeah, we did the Nietzschean thing. Um, the map in Devil and Popola's office, as you explore different things, the map changes. The map. Oh, does it? Yeah. So I I didn't notice this until like I think um, well just I guess more recently. But as you're exploring areas, at first the map that's really foggy and you can't see everything. But as you start going to different places, more and more things start becoming clear on the map in their office. Mm. Yeah, pretty cool. I have to take a look at that. I, didn't I thought that was pretty. Never cool. noticed. It's that. An interesting, interesting touch. So it looks kind of like your map when you just pull up your map. Yeah. Um. And some of this I could, you know what, I'm almost done. So this is basically the last one right here. Okay. Um, Yoko Taro says um, that the replicants can't reproduce, right? Yeah. They, they technically can't. He says even if they can't reproduce, they still have a sex drive. Replicants don't realize that they can't have babies since they have no concept of what normal childbirth looks like. Basically, managers like Devola or Popola just call them to a place and say, you're going to give birth soon, and put them to sleep, and then create a replicant from a test tube-like thing while they're asleep. When the replicants die, Devola and Popola just recycle them into a new new body, Mm -hmm. right? And that's just kind of how the process works, because I had a lot of questions about that. I I didn't know if Nier and Yona had been alive for 1,400 years, (laughs) and this was just a constant thing of them. They never age. No one ever ages. Um, But it seems like that's incorrect. They do age. They are just reborn, but they are all sterile. Replicants cannot reproduce. And what's interesting about that is that every replicant version of Yona gets the black scroll because her relapsed... Gestalt is like in a form of stasis. That's but right. It's, but that's it's right. partially relapsed. So usually a relapse um, so means they, the replicant can no longer, yeah. the data can't be retrieved. You can't replicate or reproduce. 
but with Yona they could because it's it's partially relapsed, not fully relapsed. But yeah. so every replicant that they recreate is born and gets the black scroll. <laughs> That's crazy. So like every time like he's reliving the same conundrum of my daughter or sister mm-hmm. has black scroll and this was like it never ends. Yeah. It's wild. That's so all I got. The last thing uh, is that some people who are Drakengard fans will look at that lunar tear flower and say that it has yeah. implications from Drakengard. With the flower eye girls. Particularly Drakengard 3. Okay. Now, I haven't played Drakengard 3, but this is an ominous thing in Drakengard, right? This flower, so it's like, oh, it's connected. I think, I I don't believe it is Mm. because this story, short story, was written before, way before Drakengard 3 came. Mm, Okay. I think this is just supposed to be an internal reference to near replicant itself, the lunar tier. Okay. Um, because, like I said, Drakengard 3 wasn't even in development yet when he wrote this story. Now, that's not to say that it's impossible that he was thinking ahead mm-hmm. and that he put that symbol in there to connect them, but I don't think it's the case. It might seem that way, especially now if you're playing it, it's like, oh, that's the same flower from Drakengard 3, but I don't think it is. Um, and the other thing is that, again, I, I don't care to speculate or theorycraft too much, right? But there is part of me that thinks that maybe this E ending, since Mm -hmm. it is altered a little bit from the short story version, is, uh, and its connection to Automata and stuff like that. Because like, when they chose to make a sequel to Drakengard, they chose the joke ending. Well, I mean like when, so they made Drakengard 2, but I mean when Taro (coughs) came back and was gonna make a sequel to Drakengard, the real, one, not this yeah. sequel that wasn't really not a good sequel. One. He chose the joke E ending. Yeah. Like of all the endings to choose to like branch a new story out of, he, he did chose that one. the E ending. I do wonder if this E ending of Near is in a way opening up some new timeline for a new Near story in the future that mm-hmm. might not necessarily be directly connected with the Automata timeline. Because well, I think so. the, the yeah. androids that are there, like tormenting Kaine, get like destroyed, right? Yeah, they kind of just and those disappear. are like the basis of 9S and 2B. Hmm. Now maybe their memory cores are stored somewhere right. else, maybe and they're it just proceeds yeah. exactly as before. But I did have the thought that possibly that this E ending and Kaine doing this was opening some new route for Nier's timeline that could go a different direction than like necessarily like a direct sequel to Automata's timeline or something in between mm-hmm. the two and could just open it up to do something entirely different in a new near game in the future. Hey, and technically all of these different endings could do that. Yeah, because if you go but, off this one or that one or that one, you could do anything. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it was impressive. Uh, the whole ending E thing was in a really ambitious thing. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> and I loved it, it. I think despite my like, qualms with feeling like ending D doesn't make a lot of sense because I don't think Nier would choose to do that. I think if you just buy into it, okay, I just, I'll accept it. He chose to do yeah. that. This is a really satisfying way to play off that ending and bring it all together and, um, and like you said, tie it back into kind of the theme of finding purpose in a meaningless sort of like world. And uh, it, it's a nice, it ties it all together. So my two favorite endings would be either 
the B ending or the E ending. I think that they're both good. I think I lean towards B a little bit in terms yeah. of my personal satisfaction with seeing the story open up with those two characters. Oh, sure. Close with those two characters. Yeah. It's very self-contained. And it, it, like I said, yeah, it really it hits beautiful. at the point that I think is the most beautifully explored. But uh, this whole E scenario was a lot of fun. And uh, it's a nice additional piece of content. Um, really hidden. I don't know if you didn't look it up online, if you'd ever figure out how to get to it. <laughs> but <laughs> Somehow day two or day one, people had the E ending. I guess like Just maybe, like had already maybe figured it, out. it would be really interesting if you had played the game and you unlocked to D and you're like, I guess that's it. You put the game down, you uninstall mm. it or whatever, or you, know, you pick it up again maybe three or four years in the future and mm. start playing a new file. And you've just like, what the freak? <laughs> like, you just this appeared because you were just playing, thinking you were just going to do a normal playthrough again, and it's like all of a sudden this new scenario appeared. But oh, that's funny. Anyways, you'd have to play the game. You'd have to be choosing if you didn't know this was there to just play the game again, just to play it again. Yeah. To figure this out, I guess there would be a slight hint if you looked at like the trophies list, because. Like you would see that there's a, like a, a, there's a photo of a of a trophy there with the letter E on it, and there's some hexadecimal descriptions there that if you tr- if you you know put that into what what do they call it where you uh, you take hexadecimal code and you can like translate it or whatever <laughs> I can't remember what it <laughs> if is. you're into that you if you, there's that a way out. to do that if you look that deeply into it but I mean if okay, you're just like yeah, a yeah. normal guy right <laughs> you're and not gonna know. <laughs> It's hard to know that this even exists if you yes. don't look it up online. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And so it's it's a very ambitious, like, new piece of content and a new ending to the game that they hid that some people might not even know is there or might not even find. So, I don't know. I liked <laughs> that's it. That's funny. <laughs> uh, Me too. So, that's what we'll leave off for today. And, um, like I said... Whether or not we finish this off next week is totally up to you. But we're about that close. About that close. If you want us to come back next week and hit you up with the finale of the near analysis, we're right there. Um, and I will put up the vote on Patreon and subscribe star for the next game. Do you want us to play FF10, FF6, or Xenogears? Choose. It's up to you. Um, that's it. Till next time. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for the support. We're looking forward to uh, you know your comments and, and getting some feedback and uh, seeing what you guys bring to the discussion. Uh, See you next time. Peace out.